gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 131 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, what wonderfulness are we talking about this episode? We are going to first talk about the Fall Battle Scroll that came Mm -hmm. out mid-September. We haven't had the chance to get to it. Uh, We're in the middle of covering cities. But this is just as good as time of any to talk about a Battle Scroll that didn't have a lot of changes, but there were a couple of few but very impactful word updates in there. Yes. Sorry, no more teleporting your Blizzard Deliverer. (laughs) That's uh, not going to work. Breaks so many hearts. Um, And then for the rest of the meat of the show, we are going to talk about the second Dawnbringer book, Reign of the Brute, where you have a fair few new models, particularly for Iron Jaws. You've got a new troll hero, and you have the first four armies of renown. So we've done regiments of renown before. This is a whole new animal. For any old Warhammer fantasy battle players, this was something that you might be familiar with, where you got to basically make special allotments and special changes, and you got special rules, and you got to play a special army. So that's what it's most similar to. If you're interested in that part, pay attention. There are a couple of very small but very important details to how those armies work Yes. In particular, that are different (laughs) from their battle tone. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing is we are going to do a very brief lore review. I mean, basically, we're going to read the beginning section of each little, you know, chapter or whatever, and then just move on. Just so people have a rough idea of what's going on. As we did, I think, in the last episode, refer everybody for the lore to this book to our friend Doug at 2 Plus Tough, who did just a great job of breaking down everything that was going on in this book so with that moving right on my friend to whispers from the warp hello my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die Brendan you're hobbying as we speak here furiously I have been up to this point painting Seraphon and Making very good progress, but lists are due in a week from, you know, roughly from time of recording here. And I looked at what I had to do. I looked at how many models I had left. I looked at, you know, how much time it takes me to do all those models. And then remembered, I still have to do all of the bases. And I said, this is just non-viable here. I could probably pull it off, but I don't know that I would enjoy playing the army at the event because of how much time and energy Mm. it took me to, to get it ready. So... Last night, I had a conversation with Nick Raverty from the Dias cast. Mm-hmm. In terms of tournament preparation, there aren't many people that I trust at the level that I have with Nick when I'm talking about you know, what I'm looking for to mm-hmm. get out of an event, you know, either from a competitive standpoint or, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking. And so at Vault Wars, there's a very specific award. Uh, well, there's two awards that I was trying to shoehorn my army into. The first one is Highlander, which is... You take an army, you have to have at least nine unique units. Not keyworded unique, but 
not repeated in your list selection. So if you take dryads, you can only take one unit of dryads. If you take, you know, kernoffs with great swords, you can only take one unit of kernoff with great swords. You can reinforce them, but you can only have the one unit. Mm -hmm. The other one was hard mode, and that's, you know, special snowflake, all all that fun stuff where it's more subjective than objective for what qualifies. So I was trying to shoehorn my army into both. Nick and I had a very nice conversation about, you know, especially if I wasn't going to run Seraphon, I really wanted what I brought to Vault Wars to likely be what I was planning on bringing to Worlds, just so that I could get some practice in with the army before doing so. And he told me, you know, it's kind of we're talking through all this, what armies he felt that like were really my play style. And he had mentioned Sylvaneth and I had said to him, yeah, I had a great time at Adepticon running them in the four-person teams. I love playing against Dan Sylvaneth when we had the opportunity to. Yeah, let's throw some lists together. And so we made a Highlander list for that. So at Vault Wars, I'm going to be playing Sylvaneth, not Seraphon. And barring what I would call a a horrific outing at Vault Wars, it's probably what I'm going to take to Worlds. Okay, awesome. I've got... Kurnos to paint. I've got some ether wings to paint. <laughs> I've got a knight and cantor I need to paint. Yeah, that my uh, eyebrows were like, what? When I saw that list last night, ether wings? Okay. He's got a plan. That's all that matters. Their inclusion is because they're 70 points. <laughs> yeah. And help me get to nine units. Beyond that, I've I've got a bunch of bases to update to match what we did for Adepticon. It also gave, gives me a really good opportunity to run out some of my more heavily converted models, right? Getting the Spite Rider Lancers on the table, getting my Warsong yes. who's leaping out of a tree yep. on the table. You know, just some models I'm really, really proud of. Yes. You had a mad dash this last week to <laughs> also paint some Kurnos. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. It's crazy because, so I got the Kurnos done. I had six uh, bow archers to get done. And I did. And it was nice and very helpful that I had a unit of six swords, so at least I was uniform in terms of my paint scheme and my basing and everything else. They looked very similar, which is what I always like, you know, that consistency and that kind of thematic thing. So that worked out really well. But then the other thing that kind of really wedged me in was I realized it still had 20 dryads to do <laughs> with this list. I'm like, oh my God, no. So fortunately, I had 20 primed. Once you get started with dryads, I mean, you can just knock them out. That was still... They're so easy to paint. That's the best part about them. Yeah. Still time. You know, that's the other thing. So I got all six of my bows and my 20 dryads done. Everything was finished. I repaired the wings on a few of my gossamids, which always get falling off and stuff. I have to figure out another way to do that because, man, I think I lost like half a dozen wings during the tournament off those things. I wonder if you like dipped the full bugs in like epoxy and really hardened them and then almost pinned them on. Yes, that is exactly. I was thinking of doing something like that because the wings are just tissue thin. I mean, they are just so, so thin. They're real bug wings. Yeah. That's that's what you did. They're actual genuine bugs. Which always amazed me. I was talking to one of the guys I played and said, you know, so these wings like vibrate hundreds of times per minute when they're on a real bug. But I put them on these models and they just like fall off. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Anyway, so that was all done. And I'm finished with anything I have to paint, which is always in a nice position to be. And I had conversations with some people about an Alarial list, which, you know, the guy who won Dragonfall, we'll talk about that next episode, the guy who won took an Alarial list. I think it was kind of a, a list that a lot of people have taken, you know, kind of a 
whatever you call it, a web list or whatever it is. But yeah, net list. Yep. Yeah, net list. And I had her built. I had all the parts and pieces put together, but haven't painted her. So this was nice motivation in the next three or four weeks, maybe. I can get her done in time for the next RTT. And all the models I need, I just have to mix and match and everything else. And I'm going to do is paint her separately from the beetle. And I'm smart. Gonna, Very smart. <laughs> I'm going to paint her body separately from her wings, too, because those wings are just way too tight inside. And to try to get behind them to paint her body just seemed kind of problematic. And I have the paint scheme ready because I've got a very fall paint scheme that people would tell you that, you know, that's kind of where I've gone other than with like my gossamids and my tree revs, but everything else is very much a fall thing. So I think what I'm going to do is instead of the typical blue beetle thing, I'm actually going to do a dark brown and then I'm going okay. to do highlights with kind of a fall red color, the edge highlighting and stuff. Again, that'll be consistent with what I've done on my Kernoths and my dryads. So that should look pretty neat. That's been my hobby as well. All right, moving on, pre-orders. Well, the Marine stuff is still in transit for 40K because that was, as you pointed out last time, a two-week pre-order. And then we got Fire Slayers and Cruel Boys Warbands up for pre-order. And that's really about it for pre-orders. There's nothing much else out there. Drops, there's really nothing new that we haven't already talked about. Everything's kind of out there. <laughs> Games played other than Sigmar. Well, I can tell you, man, even though I love Starfield, I was way too busy last week <laughs> since we recorded last to do anything but get ready for Dragon's Fall. So I did nothing in far, as far as other games. Did you get a chance to do some cyberpunk stuff? or I have. Oh, Basically, I've been playing, you know, uh, just putting a couple hours every day. Spoiler alert on a game that came out three years ago. I had gotten past the Arasaka Tower stuff mm -hmm. that, you know, that launches you into the, the main game. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, I had reached level 21. I had cleaned up Watson. I had reached level 20, you know, for intelligence. So I my Netrunner skills were pretty darn powerful. I'm loving the changes in the game. It feels familiar, but you come across things that are like new pretty regularly. That's wow. that's a really nice feeling. You know, like there are certainly like side jobs that I roll up to. I'm like, I remember how to do this. Sure. But every once in a while, like you'll get sent somewhere and I'm like, okay, I don't remember that quest. Yeah, yeah. And you get there and you do something with it. And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll see how that is. Obviously, the big bit that I'm waiting for is getting to the DLC part of the game. But I'm on the quest of max leveling and getting that all out of the way so I can just steamroll my way through various parts of the game. So you do feel still like you're playing a new game? Because that's what you had talked um, about last time. Yeah, so it's not completely new, but right. it feels very refreshed. There are some small things, like in terms of you know the graphics and what you're looking at, where I'm like, and part of that's because I'm playing on a machine that was built to handle the game. Right. That typically helps when I'm like, you're like, wow, this is like really nice. Overwhelmingly, the bugs have been killed. Every once in a while, you'll see something and you're just yeah. like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how this one didn't make it because it's so far down the list. <laughs> you know, the one that really stood out in my mind was the mapping for characters every once in a while. Like they, mm. they're near the stairs, but they're not on the stairs and they're like walking oh, up yeah. next to like where the stairs are. And I'm like, this used to happen all the time. Like this is fine. Like, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The car stuff is really different. There's a heavy mm. emphasis on like your interactions with vehicles okay. um, 
which is new and different. I still don't like the driving, but it's a lot better. Because I was so annoyed by it. I, I wanted to yeah, just run I, everywhere because it was so annoying. I took motorcycles because yeah. those were just easier to handle. Yes. But one of my favorite things so far is like you can hack cars now. Oh, cool. Of course. And you're the Netrunner guy, yeah. Yeah, and so like your different hacking skills are dependent on the pieces of cyberware that you have. Mm. As you upgrade, you get new hacks. So I'm really looking forward to what hacks I unlock. But right now you have emergency brake, floor it, and then you can like remotely take control of the car. And so like <laughs> I'll run up to like a group of gangsters. I'll take control of like one of their parked cars and just do donuts and, you know, watch them <laughs> knock down good. and freak out. It's <laughs> sure. super fun. Uh, it's but great. I hope that like one of the last ones that you unlock is like explode vehicle i hope it costs a million ram and for those that don't know that's basically hacker currency okay that refreshes over time i really hope that that's something that you can do because like the pandemonium that you get to cause with like hacked vehicles is great that's so funny so yeah been enjoying that been playing a little bit of madden as an hour break refresher here or there all right sigmar games did you get me in last week i did our friend christian ware was in town on saturday awesome um Yes, And so him and I went over to Vince's and we played a three-for-all game. Great. General's Handbook 2017 has a couple of missions that were built for exactly that. We did that. It was such a fun game. It was the, uh, the relic. So only your general can take the relic. And Vince's general had been killed very early. Oh. Christian general had just recently been killed. And it's Battle Round 4. I know my Slan can just float you know, his little lizard butt over there and grab the objective and float away. And I had taken some damage. Christian had managed to disengage with some of his Chaos Knights, won the double turn, and charged into my Slan and did some damage. And I'm like, that's okay. Like, I've got three wounds left. I go to cast. His first cast, Snake Eyes. Oh. I'm like, okay, you know, D3 damage, three, dead Slan. I'm like, but luckily I had a ton of Agrodons and a bunch of Saurus Warriors left to go in and surround them and, you know, just pull them off that objective and, and take that game. But it was so much fun. I really enjoy going over to Vince's to play. We always sure. have a great time. That's so neat to have a resource like that so close. Did get a game in last week, and it was in preparation really for Dragonfall, so it was all part of my prep, was playing Isaiah's crazy new list that we're going to talk about in this book with the ragers and the new ard boys and everything else and it gave me a chance to get some reps with my shooting army with my gossamids and my kernoth hunters it was good i mean it typical for me i mean it, it's like playing you in a way that i know what the inevitable outcome is going to be nine <laughs> nine out of a hundred times but it wasn't about that it was about you know him kind of coaching a little bit and me seeing what could be done with each unit and those kind of things. And having 50 dryads was just insane. That was very cool. And again, it was helpful to be able to know what to do with them. So I did get that game in. And then obviously I just had five games at Dragonfall, which again, we'll talk about next episode. Yep. Yeah, next episode, too. tournament recap, Dan at Dragonfall, me at Vault Wars. Yes, it will be lots of fun. All right. Events coming up. We got Vault Wars in a little less than two weeks. You're going to be driving out to Springfield and yep. going to Tyler's Long event. Long drive. Yes, it will. And then we have RockCon coming up. Coolio, because I always sign up for an early ticket, you know, for the whole weekend, which it's amazing. For th three days of gaming, it's like $40. It's just nuts how inexpensive it is. It's so fun. And they've started posting events yesterday, so I can start seeing what's available and all that stuff. I'm trying to block out either Friday or Saturday night, because I know that's when Tad's going to do the racing game. 
Yes. So Formula D. Yeah, yes. Formula D. So I have to have that time and I have to do that every year. <laughs> that is really fun to see. And then the second Warp Storm RTT is coming up the same weekend as Holy Havoc, which is the second weekend in November. And then, as we've talked about before, you're headed to Atlanta. Yeah. And so. uh, somewhere in there, you should, I think, fall Rubicon. Is it? See, I didn't hear anything from anybody about that. So I don't know. Oh. Hold, please. Fall Rubicon is going to be at Hobby Nights, Saturday, November 4th. Oh, well, that is Rockcon weekend, so. Brendan, I think we're ready to dive into this crazy book, Battle Scroll, and then talk about Reign of the Brutes, right? It's a fun one. It is. We'll be right back. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So we are back, and we're going to be talking about the Fall Battle Scroll. Tactics of Antor, and I guess the first thing that I want to talk about, at least just because it's up here first, is points adjustments. There's some real winners here. There's one kind of <laughs> one army that got dumped on, sort of. Yeah. Grave Lords just took a bunch of increases everywhere. It's just all red when you look at the battle scroll. Okay. Yeah, my genuine hope is that my Kansas City open list eventually ends up at like 3,000 points. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that would make me really happy. <laughs> Everybody else on here, so Deepkin, Stormcast, Nurgle, Skaven, Slaves, and Nighthaunt all got decreases. Slanesh and Bone Reapers got kind of a mix. Some increases, some decreases. So, and the slot went up 15 points. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of it for points. I mean, are there any specific things that you were surprised at or that are significant to you? Not terribly. The points decreases in Bone Reapers. Those units still need to keep coming down. Sure. You know, Catacross going up to 500 points is well, well, well deserved. The thing that's going to really adjust Bone Reapers the most is when Cities actually hits the market. <laughs> Funnily enough, the Soulblight Gravelord's points decreases don't change the list very much. Okay. Or, sorry, points increases. You lose, like, a unit of zombies or something like that. So you lose, like, 20 zombies out of it. Oh, whatever. It really doesn't change much. And the big offender is, in that army, is the way that you are really incentivized to build the army around zombies. Because as prevalent as the zombies are, that really makes four of the six battle tactics really, really, really achievable. Okay. And if you were forced to build around really any other unit in the book, some of those battle tactics become much more difficult to complete because if you build around a bunch of zombies, you take one or two vampires, all six become very eligible and you don't even have to look in the general's handbook. So the tactics themselves, I don't view as the problem. What I view as the problem in that army is the prevalence of incentivization to build around zombies because they are just so darn automatic for how it is that you win the game and completion of strategies and, or sorry, tactics, and then the completion of your grand strategy, which if you include Gorslav is automatic. Okay, Um, sure. Whatever. You know, okay. that's a separate problem. So moving on then to the handbook stuff, we have changes in some spells. So the first one is the Primal Frost. Is there any major issue with that or anything significant there? In my mind, the real big change is it spells out enemy incarnates. Yeah. It spells out some of the things that change with it, but mm-hmm. the big language is enemy incarnate because before, I believe, it didn't say enemy and you could unbind your incarnate from itself 
and force it to go wild, which was something that some armies wanted to do, certainly. That was the big change there. Uh, Blizzard, the big change is you cannot be set up or have moved earlier in the hero phase, which, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. And then we have... Uh, Change to uh, a mission, no reward without risk. Mm -hmm. The special rule, feedback overload. While not a terribly impactful rule from before, when a wizard hero is slain before removing that model from play, roll a dice on a four-up that wizard explodes. Each unit within a number of inches equal to the wounds characteristic of that wizard suffers D3 mortal wounds. Roll separately for each unit. Mm -hmm. Whatever. And then we have endless spells. There's the malevolent maelstrom, morbid detonation... When this endless spell is removed from play, if the dice besides it is a six, this endless spell explodes. When it explodes, each unit within 12 inches of this endless spell suffers D3 mortal wounds. Enemy heroes or wizard heroes, not enemy heroes, any wizard heroes, suffer three mortal wounds instead of D3. Really needed change because before what people would do was they would just set it up, let the number tick up a little bit, unbind it in their opponent's turn, you know, detonate it, set it up again, tick up the number in your opponent's turn detonate it and it was basically just a traveling like little cluster bomb (laughs) at least forcing it up to the six value means that it's going to take at least a little bit of doing to get it where it needs to go okay finally endless spells umbral spell portal arcane passage change the last sentence to say an endless spell set up in this manner does not count as having moved but cannot move until the next hero phase guess it's more clarification than anything yeah so we have some changes in the grand alliances first one is grand alliance order and we have a few changes there yeah stormcast got a new battle tactic secure the battlefield you complete this battle tactic at the end of your turn if there are friendly stormcast eternals units wholly within each large court of the battlefield more than six from all enemy units this is really doable especially if you are dropping stormcast units from the sky Mm -hmm. you can just go do that super easy so then we have lumineth and Mm -hmm. this is great nation of eumetrica so change the mountain realm rule two: the enduring as rock ability of friendly eumetrica alarith units worsens the ren characteristic of attacks that target those units by two instead of one to a minimum of zero this is quite good because it changes the confusion of before you ignored a characteristic, if it was net one or two, how did that interact with things that gave bonuses to rend? Mm. In this case, it's saying whatever the incoming attack is, you reduce that rend by two to a minimum of zero. And then the enduring rock ability is reduce it by one to a minimum of zero. But if you're, you're metrica, it gets that upgrade. Okay. It's pretty good. This next rule change, I don't really like okay deep thinkers you remove the cannot be modified statement from the rule so you change it to once per battle in your hero phase or this unit attempts to cast its first spell in that phase it automatically casts with a casting roll of a nine do not roll 2d6 can still be unbound which means that you can throw primal dice at that value mm-hmm. nine is already pretty darn good for a free <laughs> casting value sure it almost ensures that your opponent if they're going to try and unbind it is going to have to spend uh, primal dice at it and mm. that's just a rule you get for free on your war scroll for a number of characters okay i don't see the value in removing the cannot be modified it's already quite good okay and then we have a change for Ideneth. change the bloodthirsty shiver rule that's the one for the sharks right yep you can include bloodthirsty shivers in your army if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by a unit in a bloodthirsty shiver is a six it 
Satak scores two hits, so it explodes. So the big change there is it used to say melee weapons, so now their shooting attack also gets explosions. Which is great. Then we have Chaos. So two new battle tactics, one for Maggotkin. The Maggotkin one is don't squabble children. <laughs> Pick an objective wholly outside your territory. You complete this battle tactic at the end of the turn. If you control that objective and any friendly Rotbringers units, which are the mortals, and any friendly demon units can test that objective. Okay. As long as you're running mixed arms, that's not too hard of an objective, especially one that you can really get at the end there. Okay. And then Skaven get a new battle tactic? It's yes. Flee, flee. You complete this battle tactic at the end of this turn. If any friendly Skaven battle line units retreated this turn, and any friendly Skaven heroes retreated this turn. So you have to retreat at least one battle line and one hero unit. Yep. Okay. The Gracier and Screaming Bell lose the pushed into battle rule, which is good. Because before you had to have, I think it was like at least 10 clan rats within six of the bell in order for it to do any kind of movement at all. Like It's an old fantasy rule, but come on. <laughs> now, and then slaves, got, slaves to Darkness. Yeah, they got something for Kabbalists here. It says, uh, change the second paragraph of uh, Blasphemous Rituals to read, in addition, if you carry out the draw on power heroic action with a Kabbalist hero, you can immediately carry out the same heroic action with each other Kabbalist hero that has the Eye of the Gods keyword that is within three inches of the first. It's what you were doing before anyways. Yeah, that's more of a clarification than anything else. Yep. And then Death got a couple things. Yeah, they got uh, one update and two nerfs. So the update to Night Haunt, Fright or Flight, change to when the battle ends, this is one of your grand strategies. You complete this grand strategy if one or more objectives are being contested by friendly Night Haunt units, and there are no enemy units within six inches of any friendly Night Haunt units that are contesting an objective. Before, it was made claim in such a way where you could just retreat off all the objectives and you'd automatically get it at the end of the game. Sure. Which seems pretty stupid. Really counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. What about this next so, one for Bone Reapers? Yep. This is an interesting nerf. This is your healing ability on Catacross, Arcan, and your Bone Shaper. Okay. So you change the last paragraph to if that unit is an Immortus Guard or, Necro or Necropolis Stalker, you can either heal up to three wounds allocated to that unit, or if no wounds have been allocated to that unit, roll a dice, and on a three-up, you can return one slain model to that unit with four wounds allocated to it. So this is a small change, but an important one. When you're returning a model, it's still a three-up, and it comes back with four wounds, though, which means you can't immediately try and bring another Immortus Guard or Stalker back in order to get two stalkers or guard back you have to have three healing attempts on that unit meaning you can bring the model back you can heal that one that you brought back from four up to full wounds and even then with four wounds allocated to it so you bring it back with one wound left on it even then you'd have to throw four healing attempts at it it basically guarantees that you're only going to be bringing one importance guard or stalker back instead of you know what was before you could bring three back and that was scary business that's nuts it's good it's needed because removing immortus guard was so 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 difficult yeah that's rough spirit gale and i'm not sure why this one needed to be changed the way that it did but fair enough you know it's still a casting value of a seven if successfully cast pick up to three different enemy units on the battlefield to suffer one mortal wound before it was every enemy unit on the table suffered one. And then unmodified casting rolls of 9+, plus and not unbound. Uh, now you get to pick up to six different enemy units on the battlefield to suffer one mortal wound instead. Before it was, you just resolved it twice. Okay, right. There are your death changes. Nothing changed in destruction rules-wise, but 
probably because they were getting a Dawnbringers book yes, that exactly. brought with it some new and important changes. All right, cool. That's the Battle Scroll. I don't think this one did terribly much to shape some differences. I think the real big one is Blizzard. So many armies had access to teleport a small hero in some way, shape, oh, or yeah. form in the hero phase. Drop him within 12 of something. Toss a bunch of dice at it and just go, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, eat 46 dice. And then the healing mechanic in Bone Reapers was much, much, much needed to get addressed. I think that's an elegant way of doing it. And it's done in such a way where if it's too much, you just change the number of wounds that are allocated to that model coming in. Mm -hmm. If you just change it to two, then you can get two back a turn capped. But you need to have three attempts at healing it, which if this is too much, that's the change I would go to next. Okay. One of the things I do want to say that I enjoy about the Battle Scrolls is the changes, and now this is, again, my perception as somebody who doesn't play any 40K anymore, but whenever rules changes come out and updates and stuff for 40K, they always seem, it's just like you're scrambling eggs another time, and you end up with scrambled eggs, you know? It doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to accomplish a lot or create as many problems as it solved. I like Sigmar because the changes are incremental, but most of them are also meaningful and they don't add to confusion. They resolve issues. And I think that's very, very cool in terms of the rules writers understanding that kind of thing. My only complaint is I wish they would take bigger swings sure. at problems. I can understand the trepidation of if you swing and miss, usually you've overcorrected by a pretty serious amount. Yeah. But when it's specifically for changing things that aren't good to try and make them good i think overcorrection is fine right Mm -hmm. like we've seen it fewer and fewer in battle tomes of units that just aren't very good but why wouldn't we want to see you know a bunch of some unit that we haven't seen for Mm -hmm. five six years sure it's really cool when i rock up to a table and it's like oh you're running you know blah 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 whatever unit man i haven't seen that in second edition like (laughs) right this unit used to be crazy. You know, I used to see these all the time. Like, what do they do now? <laughs> they tell you, and you're like, oh, that's why I don't see them. <laughs> so that's it for the Battle Scroll. We'll look forward yep. to the next one in the winter sometime. And with that, we are going to dive into the new Dumbriggers book. We're going to start off with a very brief walkthrough of the lore. And the first part of it is that we have this huge twin-tailed crusade coming from the Twin City of Hammerhall, we have the Akshi and the Gyra parts. This thing is being led by the new leader of the humans, and she has been incredibly successful from what we understand, at least early in the campaign. The Akshian contingent of the crusade because it was divided into two parts is led by the first marshal talia vedra who is on that giant manticore that amazing new model and again ripping through everything orcs and whatever else they run into so very very successful then what happens as did in the other book we have some malarial adventures going on so what alarial has done you know when she kind of did her reign and she's revising and re building and regrowing everything, it sent kind of a quake into this slumbering Trogoth, and his name is Trug. When he woke up, he had a massive headache, because as we all know, 
uh, trogs drink way too much. And, but that's not why he had this headache. The reason he had this headache was, once again, the Sylvan has come into the story. There's this weird, like, little rune or little, I guess, what do you call it? It would be like almost like a uh, little t- mini temple that's on top of him. And it's just pulsing with Sylvaneth life energies. But what it does is it allows him to tap into it and use the power of it to make him stronger. He is just angry that he's woken up. He's going to go out and just start busting stuff. And that's what he does. He gathers more trugs and boom, he's going out smashing stuff, smashing fire slayers and smashing everything that he can run into. Nothing's stopping him. The next part of the story is we have the other part of the crusade that's actually being led by the Pontifex, Zenestra. The story goes into a little bit more of her involvement in everything. We also have more talk about the Tragus and one of the major things that these two parts of the Hammerhall Crusade were going to do is they were going to try to open up two new strongholds to help humanity grow, as it were. That is part of the plan here. And Trug obviously does not want any part of this, so he is approaching one of these great kind of strongholds that they're trying to build. And there is another commander who is involved here. I think is Malcorn is the name. There's a battle and Marshal Malcor is destroyed and all the efforts of his part of the crusade are destroyed by Trug and his forces. So Trug continues to move on. Then the Pontifex kind of intervenes here and Truce Break was the name of one of these strongholds that was being made when the Uh, Pontifex intervenes, you know, she always talks about the wheel. And this wheel, this great wheel, actually manifests itself around her. And there's this huge battle. Even Trug was unable to stop this thing. This wheel just, like, made this huge pile of mountain fall on Trug and all his Trogs. But then we have the Gargant part of the story. King Brod is on the loose And he's doing the same kind of thing where he is just going through everything and he's just ripping everything up and he's got his gargants just tearing everything up. And one of the mistakes I think he makes, of course, because I'm a Sylvaneth player, is he goes (laughs) into the woods where the outcasts, who include Drycha, are and just starts tearing stuff up. And of course, Drycha, who is always either angry or enraged, right? She's enraged or... I can't embittered, remember. yeah. Embittered, yeah. So he picked the wrong person to run into, but even she couldn't stop him. What we have as the battle is going on here and the, I guess they're the Donners they're talking about, or these dark, kind of dark Sylvaneth, a war song appears, which is really cool. The war song kind of intervenes, I guess. There's some more Oryx stuff that goes on where we learn more about these new... Uh, Maw Crushers that are coming out. Again, guys, listen to Doug. I'm just skipping through this so we can give you an idea of why things are involved. Broad's people then move on to Fort Gardas. And if everybody remembers, there is a character called Gardas Steel Soul on the Stormcast side. He and 
Brog kind of get into it. And Gardas Steel Soul falls. But at the same time, the giant like falls into this pit with him. So Brod is gone and Steel Soul kind of gave his life to get rid of Brod. There's all those things going on. Let's talk about the rules, Brendan. Yep. And the first new thing we have armies of renown as opposed to regiments of renown. So these are full army rules as opposed to just a group of units kind of a, a sub part of a bigger list, you know, instead of four or 500 points from the game perspective, we got a whole army here. And these are like supplements literally to the battle tomes because they have their own everything. They have their own special characters and they have their own enhancements and their own other stuff. You can play these independently of the battle tome that they are kind of birthed from. Yep. So if you're going to play an army of renown, you, in doing so, forfeit your battle traits, your enhancements, your spell lore, artifacts, grand strategies, battle tactics, core mm -hmm. battalions, war scroll battalions. You forfeit all of those if you're going to play in an army of renown. Now, that doesn't mean you get nothing in return, right? It's not how this works. If you do take these, you do get... Um, in the case of Trug's Trog Herd, you do still get your Loon Shrine, and it will spell out what abilities and battle traits you do keep. And in many instances, you keep some part of it, just maybe worded a little bit differently. They're going to feel familiar, but they are going to be different. And in the case of Trug, he and all the units that are going to be in this army still have the Gloom Spike Gets keyword. So. Yes, that doesn't help you much other no. than, no. right, for the moon. Right. So the first thing we have, Brendan, again, as you say in the book, it lays out what the moon does very clearly. And then we have a special rule called Moonlit Hide. So add one to save rolls for attacks that target friendly Trugs Trogherd units while they are affected by the light of the bad moon. That's it. Yep. And so that's the same as what comes out of the Gloom Spike Gets book. The two new battle traits that you pick up for playing Trug's Trog Herd mm, is mm -hmm. Aura of Haywire Magic. Yeah, yeah. At the start of your hero phase, if you use a friendly Trug's Malfunctioning Laystone ability, the effect you pick applies to all other friendly Trug's Trog Herd units, and as long as you are playing Trug's Trog Herd, you can only include units that have the keyword Gloom Spike Git and Trogeth, and then they pick up Trug's mm -hmm. Trog Herd keyword in doing so. They are affected by the malfunctioning laystone until the start of your next hero phase. We will obviously talk about what that is when we cover Trog's War Scroll. And then the last one is the King's Wreckers. Friendly Trug's Trog Herd units that do not have the hero keyword, which is one unit, gain the battle line battlefield roll, which means you can reinforce Dankhold Trogoths. Uh, you can't reinforce cool. Trog bosses, but you can reinforce you know, Dankholds. Yep. Yep, and I like the fact that that aura is board wide. <laughs> it's it's not a typical aura of twelve or eighteen or whatever it is. It's everything on the board that's yours, which is very sure cool. is. What are you thinking about the command traits? We can go over all of them. I mean, there's only three, so. Yep. So these are your consolations, right, for taking this. You're given new command traits. You're given new mm -hmm. artifacts. You have access to new battle tactics and a new grand strategy. So for the command traits. I quite like Ceaseless Growth. When you roll the mm -hmm. dice that determines the number of wounds, you can heal with the friendly Trug's Trog Herd unit's regeneration or greater regeneration ability. Add one to the number of wounds you can heal. Sure. 
cumulatively, that's going to be a lot of wounds. A ton of wounds over the course of the game, yes. Absolutely. And then the next one is Prize Troglet. Roll a dice each time an enemy unit within 12 inches of this general issues a command. On a 5-up, the command is not received, and the command point that was spent to issue the command is lost. Okay, 1 out of 3. I suppose that's all right. And then we finish up with Living Landmark. So what does that do for us? Yeah, this one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. During deployment, instead of setting up this general on the battlefield, you can place them to one side and say they are set up in ambush as a reserve unit. At the end of your first movement phase, you can set them up on the battlefield within three inches of a terrain feature and more than nine inches from all enemy units. You can give command traits to unique units, meaning Trug um, (laughs) or Molog. So you could do this. I don't know that there's a ton of value in it because if you are putting it on Trug, you're forgoing having rolled on the malfunctioning laystone ability, which is, yes. again, when we get to the War Scroll, pretty important. You could say to, that. To yeah. how that unit works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It didn't make sense when I thought about that. It's like you're giving up a whole turn of that, or more, depending on when you bring them in. So, All right, we've got a few artifacts. What's your first choice in these? Probably the Crunchy Shinies. The bear has a move characteristic of D6 plus 5. <laughs> pretty sweet. So 11-inch move for Trug or whoever. Then we have the Thwackweezer Club, which just that's just such a great combination of syllables. Oh, man, Thwackweezer. Oh, perfect, no matter what it does. Subtract one from hit and wound rolls for attacks that target the bearer if they have been picked to fight in the same phase. That can be pretty powerful. If you're having them go up against somebody, that can make a huge difference. I like that one the best of the three. So. Okay. The last one is Loonstone Teeth. The bearer gains the monster keyword. If the bearer already has the monster keyword, you can carry out two different monstrous actions with it in the same fade instead of one. That can be pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we have one new grand strategy. And three the, tactics. Uh, yeah, what is the yeah. strat? This one's pretty tough to do. Leave me alone. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if a friendly trug is on the battlefield and no enemy heroes are on the battlefield. <laughs> Jeez, good and luck. Depending on your opponent, that might be quite impossible. <laughs> That's crazy, man. We have three battle tactics. The first one is don't like that one. Pick one enemy hero. You complete this battle tactic if that hero was destroyed during this turn by an attack made by a friendly trug. Very possible depending on how aggressive you get with your crazy uh, trog boss. Yeah, he's not necessarily the most reliable fighter, but mm-hmm. it's far from impossible. The next one feels like an automatic one. Feels funny. You complete this battle tactic if a friendly Trug's Trog herd unit was destroyed by an enemy unit during this turn while it was affected by the aura of Haywire Magic battle traits, which is <laughs> you roll on the malfunctioning laystone mm-hmm. ability. And yeah. That one feels pretty good. You get one unit of uh, trogs that have like a wound left. <laughs> you charge them into something, right? Yep. Woo. Okay. Then the last one, what's that glowy thing? Pick one objective you do not control. You complete this battle tactic. If you control that objective at the end of this turn, and two or more friendly trog herd units that are affected by the light of the bad moon are contesting that objective. I think that's very doable as well. Timing, obviously, is an issue with that. Let's move on to the big guy himself. Why don't we start talking, Brendan, about this one? Obviously, unique, special character. This is Trug, the Trogoth King. Mm-hmm. He has 16 wounds, 6-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 8. Warmaster, if not picked to be the army's general, and 
honestly, I think you would want to pick him to be your army's general, mm-hmm. especially in Trug's Trog Herd, because he can be eligible for the command traits, and you don't have a better delivery system of any command traits than Trug. He's got two attacks. The first one is the Iron Shell Club, three-inch range, four attacks down to one, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage D6. That really hurts, right? You know you know this is a Durthu player. The difference between a, a fixed value and D6 <laughs> oh, yeah. is, is a lot. It is monstrous, um, to say the least, yes. <laughs> and then he's got his Mighty Antlers, three-inch range, two attacks, hits on twos down to fives, wounds on twos, Ren 2, damage D3 plus three, much prefer that, right? If oh yeah, your base damage is four in that particular case. Now I just wanted to comment quickly, Brendan, for those who are wondering how Trug can take command traits, there is something specifically in the book that says including unique units. Yep. Just like your Virkos stuff, he can be extra special Trug. The malfunctioning laystone is a pretty cool rule. <laughs> so cool. So, at the start of your hero phase, if this unit is on the battlefield, you can say that it will clobber its malfunctioning laystone. If you do so, roll a number of dice equal to the malfunctioning laystone value shown in the unit's damage table. It starts at 4 and goes all the way down to 1. Mm-hmm. Each roll corresponds to one of the results below. You must pick one of the results you rolled and apply its effects. Results 2 through 6 last until the unit next clobbers its malfunctioning laystone. So what's important to remember is the malfunctioning laystone affects Trug on rolls of two through six until the next time you do it. But you need to keep rolling on this table if you want to keep triggering the aura of Haywire magic. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in the top bracket, you get to roll four dice, and you pick the result that you like of those four dice. So the first one is the Glyph of Shaish. This unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Obviously not one you'd want to pick. <laughs> two, the Glyph of Gur. Add one to the attacks characteristic of this unit's melee weapons. So your Iron Shell Clubs would go up to five, your Mighty Antlers would go up to three. Mm-hmm. But when you think about applying that to all of the trogs on the table, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. The Glyph of Akshi, improve the Ren characters as units' melee weapons by one, bumps <laughs> you up to Ren three, bumps Fellwaters up to Ren two, I believe, Yeah. bumps Rockets up to Ren three. That's excellent. The Glyph of Haish, you roll a dice each time this unit receives a command. On a two-up, you receive one command point. I don't like this one a ton because Mm -hmm. trogs aren't elite. It basically means you have unlimited command points, but your ability and locations to use them is super low. (laughs) It is what it is. It means you're going to end up taking a a fair few Dankhold trog bosses as well as trog to escort them around the battlefield. This next one is so good. Oh my god. uh, Game changing, one might say. Yes. Glyph of Ogu, only unmodified hit rolls of six for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit's score of hits. Oh my god! The whole Uh, army, Brendan. (laughs) Yeah, for people who haven't listened to episode 129, uh, we talk about Fusiliers, (laughs) who like to do a lot of damage. This is a good way around it, but really as an edge case. You have to roll a five on four dice, which is not automatic. No, not at all. Um, It's not a five up, it's specifically a five, so it's a one in six chance on four dice, right? There's a very good chance you don't roll a five. Right, yep, yep. But the last one, the Glyph of Chaman, this unit has a ward of a five up. This is really effective if you have a bunch of Fellwaters and Dankholds and not Rock Guts. Sure. But overall, a five up ward for your whole army is pretty solid, especially if you know that your opponent is, you know, gearing up to have a turn where they dish out damage and you can't quite get to them yet. 
Then the next couple of rules, crushing grip. At the end of the combat phase, pick one enemy model and one inch of this unit, roll a dice. If the roll is equal to or greater that model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. So you can kill up to six wound heroes. Nice. Regeneration. At the start of the hero phase, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated this unit. But. With the command trait, that would be D3 plus one. Yes, but. <laughs> imbued with life, whenever you roll the dice that determines the number of wounds you can heal with this unit's regeneration ability, add three to the number of wounds you can heal. So Trug is base D3 plus three. With the command trait, he is D3 plus 4, and that would be every hero phase. So basically every hero phase, if you roll well, you can heal almost half of the wounds allocated to Trug, and that is demoralizing if I've ever seen a (laughs) a demoralizing rule. Yeah, I mean, if you spike on that D3, man, he's getting everything back almost, you know? That's crazy. That's (laughs) really good, man. I mean, it's one of those things that, like, Alariel does really well, right? Where she heals a ton, and you just go, I did so much damage. I was thinking what? about, like, and if you got somebody to get the, like regrowth off automatically or something, like <laughs> it would end up being three d six healing for her. Like, go ahead, yeah. you better kill her now, or <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's that's really cool. I love that rule. I think the whole laystone thing is so imaginative and obviously very powerful. It's a good one. It really makes the army interesting, right? Because Glog's Mega Mob, which you heal after you fight and in the hero phase, Mm -hmm. you get more healing and you also get the benefit of being able to take like your regular casters. You know, you can Mm -hmm. take a Gavapalooza in Glog's Mega Mob. You have access to the Dankhold, Trog Boss, Wade and Smash heroic action. Mm-hmm. So you're giving up quite a bit for running this. I think this army serves as a really interesting niche gatekeeper style list mm-hmm. where it's going to have some matchups where some opponents go, oh, wow, I don't know if I can really do anything here. <laughs> sure. Sure. This army is going to run into some games where it mm. goes don't really have the gas to to get through this list. And then you're going to have a bunch of games where it's close and it's interesting and it's competitive, but the fact that it has some armies that are going to show up and look at and go, oh, I don't know, that does keep some players honest in terms of what they can bring to an event and where their expectations can lie. Are you going to see a bunch of this army? No. I don't know that Trug is very good outside of his trog herd specifically mm-hmm. but i think he might be pretty good in glog's mega mob but the ability for his laystone to affect everybody is huge and you only get that in the trog herd well you know we did see it at dragonfall our friend tracy took it to four and one so it was there as most of these things were that we're going to talk about so next up we have king broad's stomp this is battle traits here. Each Mega Gargant has a mightier, makes mightier value list on its damage table. We know it works the same way as yep. it normally does. Man Crusher's count is 10. All good. And then we have the World Titan's Prophet. If your army includes King Broad, he has a ward of 5 up while he's within 3 inches of any other friendly units. Poops, man. What a great investment to take a baby Gargant. I was just going to say. next to... Put a chain him on him abroad. and just have him like followed, <laughs> dragged around by. Or a great conversion would be great. Like just throw one of those things up on his shoulder or something and just have it laying there limp, <laughs> counting it. <you> know? <laughs> that would be pretty funny. What do we have here? We have smash it all to bits. Now there's some discussion we're going to have here on this special rule because there's some of it that's okay and some of it that needs, I think, a look at. 
when we talk about what this does as written, at least. Yes. So once per turn in your shooting phase, so only once per turn, you can't do it in your enemy's turn as well, you can pick one terrain feature and one friendly Mega Gargant within one inches of it. If you do so, roll a die on a two-up, that terrain feature is sundered. So that would include faction terrain as well. Correct. Okay. Yes. If a terrain feature is sundered, roll a dice for each unit that has any models on or garrisoning that terrain feature. And as we talked about before the show, that just means you need to have a toe on it. That's it. Yep. Just touching it. On a two-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Fine. Then all models from units that were on or garrisoning that terrain feature must be set up wholly within six inches of that terrain feature and more than three inches from all enemy units. <laughs> if a model cannot be set up wholly within six inches of that terrain feature and more than three inches from all enemy units, it is slain. The terrain feature is then removed from play. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, the Mega Gargant can pick up this terrain feature and throw it at somebody within 18 inches. It has D6 attacks, 4 by 3 is minus 2, D3 plus 3 damage. That's pretty reasonable, especially if you spike. All right, Brendan, there's two pieces to this, right? Yep. So the one is removing the terrain feature from play. And I think we kind of finally came to a, an agreement that that's reasonable. That's okay. There's nothing crazy about that. It's a dice roll. You know, there's a one in six chance that this doesn't happen. Right. You forfeit your shooting attack basically to do this. You know, you roll one, nothing happens. And the destruction of a piece of terrain is pretty valuable to a Mega Gargant's player because a Mega Gargant's player ideally wants to play on a flat, wide open table. Sure. That is the best way for them to play. Cool. The next bit is rolling dice to do some damage for models that are on or garrisoning. Now, most faction terrain has the impassable rule on it, so you mm -hmm. can't be in it, but that's fine. But let's say you wanted to throw you know, a Wildwood, for example. Yep. A very movable through, famously, piece of terrain. <laughs> All of the units that have models within that Wildwood, you'd roll the dice for on two up, right? They take damage. But then what happens next is you would start with the Mega Gargants player, and they would pick up any Mega Gargants that are within being on that terrain mm -hmm. and set it up wholly within six inches of that wildwood and more than three from enemy units. What this means is that you can move those models to really anywhere around that terrain feature. And in the most egregious way is basically having them leapfrog that piece of terrain forward with a free movement that ends you three inches away from enemy units. Yes. Now, at the same time, after that sequencing has been completed, the enemy models that were in it or garrisoning it could do the same thing. They can go be set up somewhere else as well. That part of it, I think, is where people go, hold on, time out, this feels ridiculous. Mm. If it was back up the units in a straight line, you know, to the point where they are outside of three inches from enemy models and, mm -hmm. you know, not touching the terrain feature anymore, and then you pick up the terrain feature and, you know, you just draw a straight line basically away from the center of it. Yeah. I think that's a better resolution. I think that's probably the happy place for this rule. Mm -hmm. Picking up and destroying it, you know, Dan, one of the things that you had about it is that you were really frustrated that, you know, that they were removing something that you brought. And, you know, we, we talked about it. And I said, well, you know, it comes at a cost. You have to make a choice to do this. Right. You're talking about a maximum of one per turn. You as an opponent have the opportunity to react and plan for that, right? You know, right. uh, especially as a Sylvaneth player. Right. 
and agreed, you know, it sucks to lose the thing that is yours and, and gives you benefits. Right. But in the same way, this is kind of doing the same thing, but reversed yeah, right. for, for the Gargant player. Okay. Yep. But yeah, that's a rule that needs some rewording yes. about that. Looking uh, up. Because I think basically everybody who reads this rule goes, cool, teleporting Mega Gargants, because there's nothing stopping you yes. from running all four Mega Gargants to tow on. Now, you're not going to run, run and charge. By, I mean, move them in such a way where they are all on one piece of terrain. Right. You roll a two up and you get to teleport all four of your Mega Gargants, you know, another 12 inches forward. Here they are. Oh my gosh, that's something else. All right, we've had our so say the, on that one. <laughs> yeah, so the shooting attack itself, right? Yeah. Eight and inch range, D6 attacks, fours by threes, Ren 2, damage D3 plus 3, totally fine. Yeah, Abs- oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's swing enough to not be obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not six attacks. Then I'd have a little bit of an issue with it, but it's D6. It could be one, could be six. It's all good. And then we have the Wrath of Broad. So this is another monstrous rampage that you can add on here. And when you yep. carry this out with a friendly Mega Gargant, you can do that, obviously, instead of your normal monstrous rampages. And this is the King's Stomp. Only a model that has made a charge move in the same phase can carry out this monstrous rampage. This model can make a 3d6 move, but it must first finish that move within three inches of an enemy unit. When it makes a move in this way, it can pass across models and terrain features in the same manner as a unit that can fly. That is so good. At the end of the move, roll a dice for each unit it passes across. On a two up, that unit suffers d3 mortals. Okay, so it's kind of like an enhanced stomp is what it is. This is exactly the same rule that's printed in the Ogre Maw Tribes book Mm -hmm. for the Stonehorn. It is identical. Word for word, identical. Yeah, pretty good. Now you lose out on your other monstrous actions that would be in the Sons of Bayamut, um, which is a pretty steep price to pay because of how good some of those are. Um, This is a good monstrous action. Smashing all the bits is pretty good. A five-up board on broad is pretty solid. And then, you know, we'll get over here and we'll talk about command traits because I really think there's one that stands head and shoulders above the rest. Okay. So Mega Gargants, command traits, this can include unique units, broad. My big winner is Big Eater in the combat Mm. phase. If any enemy models are slain by attacks made by a friendly Mega Gargant, wholly within 12 inch of this general, uh, which means that your Megas are going to have to be clumped up together, which they want to be anyways. You can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to that Mega Gargant after all of its attacks have been resolved. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest weaknesses of Giants is, you know, once the wounds start coming off, they start coming off fast and you can't get them back. This is basically guaranteeing you for at least two of your Mega Gargants, one being your general, that you're going to be healing D3 every combat phase on them in combat, which is pretty good. Any little bit helps. And again, cumulatively, just like we talked about the extra healing for... The Trogs, cumulatively, this is still a lot of wounds over the course of a game. Then we have high expectations. Add one to the attacks characteristics of death grip attacks made by friendly Mega Gargants or while they're within three inches, not wholly within, of any other friendly Mega Gargant. That's fine. And the Loudmouth Bully, once per turn in the combat phase, you can pick one friendly King Broad stomp unit wholly within 12 inches of this general. If you do so until the end of that phase, Use the top row on that unit's damage table, regardless of how many wounds it has suffered. That is really a good one. Given the point that you made where, you know, once you lose them, you're going to start losing them fast. And you do table pretty quickly, some of these guys. So, all right, we have artifacts. What are you thinking there? 
I'm probably taking Lucky Shiny Hat. Yep. The bear has a ward of a five up against Mortal Wounds. So in this army, you're going to have King Broad with a five up against everything. And you can potentially have a person with a five up against mortals. You still have access to the universal enhancements. You could give somebody just a base six up ward. Mm-hmm. So it's really up to you to decide, you know, what's more valuable, a six up against everything or a five up against mortals. The next one is Brand of the Gargant King. If the bearer makes charge move and the unmodified charge roll was an 8-up, the strike first effect applies to them until the end of the turn. It's similar to the thing the Night Hunt do, where if they have certain rolls, they get extra bonuses when they charge kind of a thing. It's yep. Then we have Crafty Creepers. At the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy hero that has an artifact of power, is within one inch of the bearer, and roll a dice on a 5-up. That artifact of power can no longer be used. If a weapon was picked, that's really crazy. If a weapon was picked when the artifact of power was selected, that weapon reverts to normal. All right, I don't want to get close to that. I don't want to lose my gem. And then we have one strategy and three tactics. So the strategy is impossible. It yes. can't be done. Yeah. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no terrain features on the battlefield. Now, I would tell you, Brendan, when I talk a little bit about the terrain, it's how... Mark kind of had it set up at Dragonfall. There was probably about half a dozen tables where they could actually do this because there was only five pieces of terrain on some of those tables. But if your opponent brings a piece of faction terrain, it's, oh, right. it's now impossible. Right. Now it would be impossible. Yep. Absolutely, yes. So I, but, there's no but, way I would ever take but this. But most tables have somewhere between six to eight pieces of yes. terrain. yep. You have to roll a two up. Let's pretend that you are on a table with five pieces of terrain mm-hmm. and you're playing it up someone who doesn't bring one. You have to roll a two up Mm. every single shooting phase to be able to do this. This grand strategy is impossible. And that's really frustrating that they would have written a rule, especially in the core rules where it advises you on what table setup looks like. Sure. What were they thinking? Yes. If this had been changed to either been smashed to rubble or smashed it all to bits, right, where you're taking the monster's action and this. Sure. Okay. Now it's doable and it's thematic. Fine. It needs... Like, one more sentence that includes the monstrous action-crushing right. action. Mm-hmm. So, over to battle tactics. The first one, good shot, her, her. You complete this battle tactic if an enemy unit was destroyed during this turn by an attack made with the hurled terrain missile weapon, which is the shooting profile you get from smashing all the bits. It's pretty iffy, man. <laughs> you better be really sitting there going, I don't have anything else I can possibly do. I guess this one. Then we have King's Conquest. You complete this battle tactic. If a friendly King Broad and one other friendly King Broad stomp unit are contesting the same objective at the end of this turn, and that objective was controlled by your opponent at the start of this turn, that's... Very doable. Oh, yeah. It's close to auto there. Yep, and then clear them out. Pick one objective on the battlefield that you do not control. You complete this battle tactic if, at the end of the turn, you control that objective, and that objective is contested by a friendly King Broad stomp unit that has made a charge move. That one's very doable as well. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, so two good ones and one that you go, oh boy. All right. So that's the giant stuff. And now we get on to shooting foolishness here. Man. Yep. Crazy. Grunstock Expeditionary Force. This is, of course, our KO friends. Get a new thingy. They get a special army. So in order to be a member of the Grunstock Expeditionary Force, you must be Caradron's Overlord keyworded. And either be a hero that is not unique or have the Grunstock keyword. All units in your army gain the Grunstock Expeditionary Force keyword. So what that means is you can take Thunderers, you can take the very small boats, gun the haulers, gun haulers, that's it. and you can take heroes that aren't named. Right. And that's it. 
Mm-hmm. In doing so, you lose all of the special boat commands. You lose all of the codes and articles and all of that. Instead, you gain only the best. Friendly Grunstock Expeditionary Force units gain the battle line battlefield role. Yeah. Which is funny, which means that your heroes are also battle line. <laughs> it's hilarious. But that means that your gun haulers and your thunders are your battle line choices. They're reinforceable. And that makes the army go. The rule here that makes me and probably anybody who's read it question if anybody at all at Games Workshop play-tested this army once. Just once. And that is grudge... <laughs> yeah, just once. And that is grudge settler protocols. In Nuts, any phase, man. each time a friendly Grunstock expeditionary fort unit has shot or fought for the first time in that phase, <laughs> the fighting's not really a big deal. Oh. Um, you can roll a dice. On a four-up, that unit can shoot or fight for a second time in that phase. It, it, However, you must subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made in this way. Excuse me, what did, you, what did you just say? You said something yeah. about on a four-up, you can shoot again? Or fight again. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, yeah, it's here. It's right here in, in black and white. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. And it's not just somebody making stuff up. <laughs> Yep, and designers note this ability can be used in your opponent's turn after a Grunstock Expeditionary Force unit shoots with the Unleash Hell command. You can take a brick of 15 Thunderers, Mm. Unleash Hell, and on a 4-up, do it again. Wow. And you would say to yourself, oh, well, you know, the drawback of this army, Brendan, is obviously you've got Thunderers. Thunderers are very slow. You still have to get them across the board. I would tell you, yes, that would be correct if there wasn't this other rule called rapid redeployments, which I don't think anybody really understood when they wrote this rule what it meant. Any more than they understood the impact of the other rule that you just read. (laughs) Yeah. Each time a friendly Grunstock gun hauler makes a normal move or runs, you can say that it will transport a friendly unit. Okay, cool. Basically, you know, you like as you read that, you're thinking, oh, you get the free compartment where you can transport up to six models. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. Wrong. If you do so, before the move is made, pick one other friendly Grunstock Expeditionary Fort unit with a wound's characteristic of six or less, which means your heroes, except for, I think, like the engineer with balloon suit, that is within three inches of the gun hauler and more than three inches from all enemy units. Thunderers are wound's characteristic two. It doesn't matter if you have 15, they're Mm -hmm. wound's characteristic two. You can pick a unit that has already moved in that phase, remove that unit from the battlefield. Then, when the gun hauler finishes its move, set up the transported unit on the battlefield again, wholly within three inches, which you can do with 15 Thunderers of the Grunstock gun hauler and more than three inches from all enemy units. Units transported in this manner cannot make a charge move in the same turn, and they don't care because they don't want to. Right. So you it's, just increase, I think, what's the move, 12 probably or something like that on these gun haulers? So you just, like turned these guys into like a 16-inch move <laughs> unit. It's like they're flying, man. So like, That's crazy. here's the killer thing to me. Gun haulers are base movement 12, mm. and then once per battle, at the start of your movement oh, phase, yeah. you can see that it will move an additional six inches. If you can choose to do that, and then also run with it if you wanted, you can be movement 24 with the gun hauler moving 15 Thunderers with you. Brendan, you could have your entire army. Let's assume you have like four of these and four units of Thunderers, for example. Mm-hmm. You can move your entire army once per battle, like 40-some inches, which would only is all that you would need, in your opponent's face. Like right there, just within firing range, right, of your whole 
opponent's army and just blast away. Oh, and wait a minute. You can blast away again if you throw a four up. That, yeah, that's insane. That's, that's it. Did you get tabled on turn one too? Yeah, I did too. Did you play that, that guy with the KO list? Yeah. Yeah. So like the important thing with this is I wouldn't drop my guys off within, no, you know, at the three no, inch line. Of course not. I'd of drop them not. at the nine to 12 inch distance Yeah. and, you know, do that. But that alone is all pretty good. And I'm just going to keep rolling here because this is just real stupid, Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You come over to the command traits and oh yeah, this they have one that stands head and shoulders above the rest because you lost articles and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And one of them was really good. And it went, you know, whenever you receive, um, you know, rally on a, on a four up, which was really good. Oh my God, here's the command trait back on your feet. When a friendly Grunstock expeditionary force unit receives the rally command, you can return one slain model to the unit for each four up instead of a six. And you think, Oh, well that's, you know, an issue from the general, like, you know, that's fine. Wrong. That is, whenever any units in your army receive the rally command, yep. as long as your general took this trait, you rally on a four-up. It says whenever a friendly unit, yes. any friendly unit, not within 12, yes. not within anything else, and, Brendan, which makes it even worse, is you're bringing back two wound models. It's yeah. just insane. So you're capped, obviously, at getting five back a turn. That's the limit that you get stuck with. Fine. But there are two wound models on a three-up save um, that you're getting back on fours. Yeah. Okay. And then they're going to shoot. And when they shoot again, they they do it on fours. Uh What scraps of your army you have left after being shredded by these things Mm -hmm. are not going to take out many of these guys. But if you got lucky, for example, and took like eight or ten of them out, they'll just get five back. Fine. You know, yep. All the work you went through with the pittance of this left in your army. <laughs> oh, God. And, like, that's not to say that the other command traits are bad. It's just this is so dumb. And I'll go one step further in terms of, you know, talking about how, I guess there's really two more steps I want to talk about how dumb this gets. Mm-hmm. Well, no, three steps. Three more steps of how dumb this gets. Okay, okay. Now the next is you come over to your artifact. And the one you're going to take is the Etheric Nullifier. Yeah. Each time a friendly Grunstock Expeditionary Force, wholly within 12 inches of the bearer, is affected by a spell or abilities of an animal spell, you roll a dice. And on a 4-up, you ignore the effects of that spell, the effects of the animal spell, and the that turn. Cool. Your army gets no myriad. So you are a shooting twice on a 4-up, moving freely about the cabin army that rallies on fours and is also a slightly worse version of Null Myriad. Oh yeah, an army that is winning tournaments constantly. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. A grand strategy that is darn near automatic. When the battle ends, if there's at least one friendly Thunders and one friendly Grunstock Gunhauer on the battlefield alive, and all that means is we just talked about it, you can make a movement 24. You know, you see, oh no, I'm in danger. You pick up a unit of five Thunders, you move 24 inches to the corner of the board and you go cool, good luck, come get me. Right, and right. You know, the moment that they start getting close, you can just zip off in the other direction. And you have three battle tactics that are in you know your quote-unquote book that are really doable. You know, First one is destroy an enemy unit if they were affected by the Grudge Settler Protocol, right? So, you know, <laughs> four up. Chances are, yeah. Yeah, and across multiple units, like the gun haulers all have a chance at doing this. Mm-hmm. All they got to do is shoot, roll a four up, shoot, and then, cool, you did that. Okay, it's got to be killed with the Grud Settler Protocol's battle trait. Fine, 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 fine. Yeah, and the uh, next one's no better. You pick one objective on the battlefield. This is no safe haven. That's controlled by your opponent. You complete this battle tactic if, at the end of the turn, you control that objective in a friendly unit that was set up this turn with the rapid redeployment battle trait, which is going to be something you're going to do on a regular basis, is contesting yeah. that objective. So you bring your 15 guys up, you blow a unit off the board, and boom, you're good. 
All you, good. You shoot them. You roll a four up. You shot another unit off. You hold it. Cool. Yeah. 400 points of your opponent's army dead. Objective controlled. Like, oh, and come and get me. Come and get me yeah. off. Please. As I unleash and, hell against you. And, oh, wait a minute. I get to a 50% chance of unleashing hell against you twice. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. And yeah. thunderous claim. Pick one objective on the battlefield you do not control. You complete this battle tactic if at the end of this turn you control the objective, and that objective is contested by two different friendly Grunstock Thunderous units. Yeah. Cool. And that's three battle tactics and a grand strategy you can shuffle away. And now you open the, the general's handbook for two battle tactics that you can try and go land. Intimidate the invaders, that one's pretty much free. And then late game, go tag three edges of the board with your very speedy gun haulers that no one was in range of getting all game. Sure. Sick. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Like, it's been a really long time since we've done a book review of any variety where my feedback at the end of this is... I can't believe they screwed up this bad. You know, there were certainly like some power combos that we've talked about, but like there is literally no penalty to running the expeditionary force mm -hmm. because before what you would take the tax for Caradron Overlords was taking an ironclad and that was your means of transporting around 15 Thunderers. You had to make a 500-point investment to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, Games Workshop has basically said with this army, cool, you can take all of the really good efficient units. Oh, they're slow? Don't worry. There's no drawback to that whatsoever. We're also going to include, and you know, pardon the hyperbole or recency bias, one of the single most uninteractive rules we've ever written mm -hmm. onto an army that, hey, we talk about this every time a shooting army comes out. Wow, this is tough to deal with for a lot of armies. Oh, you know, there's a 50% chance you're, you know, you get to do it again with an individual unit and every unit in your army gets to do that. And also in combat for some reason, like sure. talk about salt to the wound. Like they're not very good in combat. The boats aren't the heroes can be, but like you've waded through just a relentless supply of ammunition and you get into combat and then they, they hit you in with the butt of their gun twice. Like yeah. It's just insult. Agreed, man. It's crazy. But it's real. Just stand by for heavy rolls, man. Here we go. Yeah. There's an interesting counter with Trug, right? If, you know. if, if you roll a five. If you roll a five, yes. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, if they shoot Trug first, and they can, and they have the firepower to remove Trug, yes. then... Game over. <laughs> Shake hands. Go have a beer with your friend. <laughs> All right, man. We're going to take a quick break because we're going to come back and talk about the new Oryx stuff and the extra-large pigs. We'll at least end with an army that's cool to talk about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay, right back. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Brennan, let's talk about something a little more fun, actually, for both players. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Now that you've just finished listening to me scream at the microphone for 10 minutes, <laughs> we're going to talk about another army that frustrates me, but for a very different reason. And this is the Grunta Stampede. And mm -hmm. I will say I've seen this played. I played against this. And I think it's really cool. I think the units are cool. I think it's fun. And so Auric. You know, the, yep. this is what you want out of this army. So in order to play... A Grunta Stampede army. Yes. You must be Orc Warclans, mm -hmm. and the only units you can take can be keyworded Maw Grunta or Gore Grunta. Yes. That's it. Yep. Those are the only two 
keywords you can take, which mm-hmm. means that there's a total of four War Scrolls that you are eligible to bring in this army. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. It's interesting, and we'll cover all of the Auric War Scrolls that have come out at the end of this, and some of them are not eligible to be used in the Grunta Stampede, but you would be able to use them in a regular Auric War Clans army. So the big thing is, is that if you're playing this, you lose two rules that you are going to be very used to. Smashing and bashing, you know, right? Mm-hmm. You destroy a unit, you get to move on to the next one. And Mighty Destroyers. You don't get either of those two rules if you're playing Grunta Stampede. Yep. And you'll point out for us the units that you can play outside of this, right? You can play all of them outside of this, but there are the new units that you can only use. The Tusk Boss, the Maw Grunta with Hack and Crew, and the Maw Grunta Gougers. Those are the only units from the supplement that you can play in this new army. And obviously, Gore Grunt is from the regular book. Those are the only four War Scrolls that can be in a Grunta Stampede. Okay. So let's talk about this. This is the Grunta Wog. Once per battle at the start of your charge phase, you can pick one friendly Maw Grunta General on the battlefield and say they're calling a Grunta Wog. If you do so, until the end of that phase, each time a friendly Maw Grunta unit finishes a charge move, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of any models in that Maw Grunta unit. On a 3-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds, impact hits, fine, all good. We have Hogs of War, friendly gore grunta units gain the battle line battlefield roll, cool. Here we come. During the first battle round, do not subtract one from the momentum score, we'll find out what that is, of friendly maw grunta units at the end of each turn. Cool. And then we have Rampaging Maw Gruntas. This is a new uh, monstrous rampage that you can carry out with a Mog Runner. You can carry this out instead of, obviously, other Monstrous Rampages. So we have Greedy Gobble. You can only carry out this Monstrous Rampage with a unit that has a momentum score of three or less. Pick one enemy unit within three inches and roll a die. If the roll is at least double that model's wound characteristic, it is slain. Charge down. You can carry out this Monstrous Rampage with a model that made a charge move this turn and is not in a unit that has multiple models. That model can make a D6 move, but you must finish within three inches of any enemy units. Then add one to the momentum score of that model. Charge down's really good. Greedy Gobble, I think, is yeah. you've run out of monstrous actions to commit, right. and you're going, right. okay, sure, I'll do this one. We yeah, have you... one command trait, right? That's it. So yep. Monster Hunter, improve the Ren characteristic of this general's pig hacker by one for attacks that target an enemy monster. Okay. You get one artifact of power, other than the universal enhancements. <laughs> right. Stuff from Destai, the Boom Skull. The bearer can issue commands to any friendly units on the battlefield. Yeah, fine. In addition, each time the bearer issues a command, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of them and roll a dice. On a three-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Kind of weird, but sure. You get mount traits. Yeah, so You can pick certain. up to three friendly Mogrunta units to have one different mount traits from the table below. If I pick a unit that has more than one model, each model in that unit has the mount traits. That's pretty cool. So Mogruntas can be double reinforced in the Grunta Stampede because mm-hmm. the only general you can take is a Tusk Boss, and they become battle line if a Tusk Boss is your general. So kind of automatic. All right. The first one is Prapa Ard. When this unit is targeted by an attack, if the weapon used for the attack has a Ren characteristic of 1, change the Ren characteristics for that attack to blank. Ignoring Ren 1, cool. And then we have Prapa Nasty. Add 1 to hit and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this unit's mount. If any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to this unit in the same phase. So you can do that if you're going second, it would appear. 
I really like that one on a unit of Mawgrunts, because mm-hmm. then all of them get plus one to hit and plus one to wound. Sure. And into the right target, it would be pretty hard to remove one of them. Then you're going to take a, a mighty crack back, that's for sure. And how about the and last one? Prop a wild at the end of the enemy charge phase before any monstrous rampages are carried out. If this unit is more than three inches from all enemy units, but within 12 inches of any enemy units, you can roll a dice on a three up. This unit can attempt to charge. Mount traits are pretty good. The command trait and the artifacts are pretty bland. You have a grand strategy, head of the herd. When the battle ends, you complete a grand strategy if your general has a momentum score of six at any point during the battle and has not been slain. Getting to six can be difficult, mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. is not an army where your general is going to be out of combat or just kind of leisurely enjoying their time somewhere. Sure. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that one's kind of tough. You've got three battle tactics. First one is out of control. You complete this tactic if you carry out the Greedy Gobble, Charge Down, and two other monstrous rampages this turn, which means that you have to have, you know, four monsters Mm -hmm. on the field, which, while not impossible, can be a tall order at some point during the game. The boss leads the way. You complete this battle tactic if during this turn your general calls a grunt a wah and any enemy units are destroyed by attacks made by your general or abilities used by your general this turn. That's not impossible. Tusk boss are pretty punchy. Mm-hmm. And full speed stampede. You complete this battle tactic if at the end of the turn if there are three or more friendly maw grunted units on the battlefield. Each have a momentum score of five up. Oof. That one's going to be tough. It really that will. one is going to be very difficult. Now, just to put in perspective, we're, we're going to talk about these units. You've got the Maw Gruntas, which are the single units, kind of. You know, they're like super pigs. They're 180 mm-hmm. points. So for a unit, you could reinforce them twice, right, Brendan? Because they're battle yep. line. So yep. it would be 540. They, they can become battle line. Yes. yes. So they're 540 for basically 36. Yes, yeah, 36 wounds. Yep. On a three-up save, and that's pretty cool that they're that well-stocked up. I mean, you think of regular pigs in an Auric army. They're only four-up save, I believe, are they not? Yep. I think, yeah. So this is pretty cool. So 180 for one. Then you have the one with the hacking crew that's not a hero. It's 270, and then it's 380 for the boss yep. if you're going to take. The boss goes up to a three-up save on Bravery 8. He gets some more things that the other ones don't, and obviously unlocks the opportunity for battle line Maugrentas. Yes. There's a lot of things that are going to be common between all of them. The momentum is the same across all of them, and there's a number of profiles that are the same. Yes, yeah, so that'll make it quicker to go through them, because the two with the crews... The two with the crew. Okay, that's cool. Monsters Rampage is the same on those as well. So let's dive in, and why don't you talk about the Tusk Boss? to us since you just mentioned him yep so the tusk boss is understandably the most complicated of the three so the way that their table works is not based on damage it's based on momentum score Mm -hmm. it's bracketed as momentum score one momentum score two through three four through five and six so you're going to start the battle at momentum one so you start at movement nine and you come up to movement 12 as you gain momentum you can lose momentum and we'll talk about that in a little bit Mm -hmm. three up save bravery eights the boss has the pig hacko, one inch range, six attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage two. The next two profiles, all the Mawgruntas have. They have the mighty tusks, two inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, ren three, damage. Starts at D3, goes up to D3 plus three. Trampling trotters, one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage D3. The kill choppas, which are the same between the tusk boss and the Mawgrunta with hack and crew. Mm-hmm. 
two inch range, two attacks, threes by threes. Starts at run one, comes up to run three, huh. damage two. The Tusk Wask is the head of the Stampede. If this unit makes a charge roll, you can reroll charge rolls for all friendly Maugranta units on the battlefield until the end of that phase. That is really cool, Brennan. Everybody. That's very, very cool. I love it. Yeah, all the big pigs. Love it. So then Unstoppable Momentum. This is a rule that is shared amongst all of the Maugrantas. Mm-hmm. So this unit has a momentum score that affects the values represented by a star for this unit as shown on the momentum table above. At the start of the battle, this unit has a momentum score of 1. Each time this unit finishes a run or charge move, add D3 to its momentum score. This unit's momentum score can never exceed 6. At the end of each turn, subtract 1 from the unit's momentum to a minimum of 1. Okay. Not bad. You know, this is fine because this is what Oryx do, you know? They Mm -hmm. run and they charge and they move forward. So this isn't something you're not going to do already, especially with these guys. The problem is having seen a Maugranta twice now, effectively, in a game. Okay. It is very difficult to get the momentum score up and keep it where it needs to because it degrades in your turn and your opponent's turn. If you get doubled, you could very easily, if even if you rolled well, right? You know, you rolled your charge roll, you know, you're at four. If you get doubled, by the time your turn comes around next, you could be at momentum score one again and you got to start sure. all the way over. Makes sense. Okay. And then you've got Headlong Charger. While this unit has a momentum score of four or more, this unit can charge even if it ran earlier in the turn. <laughs> Wow. That's great. If you get the momentum score up, that's awesome. You know, you're going to get some pretty good benefits for it. But if you run right out of the gate, you got to roll a five or a six to be able to charge. You can't always bet on that. That rule is the same across all three. And then this next rule, hack and charge, is true for the Tusk boss and then the one with the hack and crew. So hack and charge, you carry out the Carva Path monstrous action below with this unit instead of any other monstrous rampages you can carry out with this unit. So... This is a monstrous rampage that is absolutely going to need clarification because I can't tell you confidently how this works. Okay. So you pick an enemy unit with a wounds characteristic of four or less within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. If the roll is less than this unit's momentum score, that enemy unit suffers a number of of mortal wounds equal to the roll, and you can immediately attempt to charge with this unit. When a unit charges in this manner, it can pass across enemy units with a wounds character of one or two in the same manner as a unit that can fly. So if you are within three inches of an enemy unit in the core rules, how does that interact with this? Mm. I have seen it argued well in both directions. At time of recording, I cannot say to you confidently that it works one way or the other. I've thought about it, I've looked at the different rules, I've looked at different arguments, and, and I go, yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I really hope that this is higher up on the priority list for resolution from Games Workshop in terms of their FAQ. Obviously, they're going to need to take a look at the book anyways because of the expeditionary force. But this is a monstrous rampage that I feel like I understand what their intent is, but it is not clear that it works. Okay. So next up is the elite Maugrenta with Hack and Crew. This one cannot be reinforced, but is not a hero. Right. Uh, Kind of a middle-of-the-road Maugrenta. Yeah, you've got pretty much the same move. It's 9 down to 12, but you have a 4-up save instead of a 3-up and 7 bravery instead of 8. Things that are different here is you have... The Gouger, Choppa, and Axe instead of the Pig Hacka is one inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. Okay. And then everything else is the same. The Tusk, the Trotters, and the Kill Choppas are all the same. Mm-hmm. This unit is elite, so you can issue its own commands. You have a crew, blah, blah, blah. Unstoppable Momentum's the same. Headlong Charge is the same. 
and Hack and Charge is the same, and the Monstrous Rampage is the same. About 80 or 100, 110 points less for this guy than for the other guy. Last up is the Mogrenta Gougers. This is the battle line one. So they are 12 wounds. The move table is the same. Forp save, bravery 7. The tusks and trotters are the same. The gouger, choppa, and axe is the same as the one we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You lose the hacken crew, obviously. This is a monstrous regiment, so only one model in this unit can carry out a monstrous rampage each turn. You know, as many of you remember with dragons and giants. Can't double up on that. Right. Unstoppable momentum, the same. Headlong charger, the same. They get a different monstrous action, crushed and trampled. You get to carry out the flattened into mud monstrous rampage. So flattened into mud is only a model in a unit that made a charge move in this turn can carry out this monstrous rampage. Pick an enemy unit with a wounds characteristic of one or two within three inches of this unit and roll a dice. If the roll is less than this unit's momentum score, the strike last effect applies to that enemy unit until the end of the turn. Cool. Super limited. Yeah. Uh, right? You know, wounds characteristic of one or two is the only eligible target sure. for this. Sure. And it's got to be a roll yeah. lower than your momentum, which, depending on where in the game you are, can be very doable. But chances are, wounds characteristic one or two units is not what you care about making fights last. There's usually some monster, there's usually some hero. And if that's the case, they're, I'd bet basically everything that they're not wounds characteristic one or two. There are going to be some units where that is useful, but that is going to be rarer than it is common. Okay. That right there is what ends what you can play in a Grunta Stampede army mm-hmm. um, from this supplement. You can take Gorgruntas from the regular book, but everything else we talk about is only going to be playable in uh, Iron Jaws or Big Wah. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to play them in the Maw Grunta Stampede. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't think the Maw Grunta Stampede is very good. I think Maw Gruntas, all of them, are better in just a regular Iron Jaws army. Yeah, I think... Brendan, the thing that jumps out at me with this is there's absolutely no way, other than the limited number of mount traits and artifacts and stuff, for you to do anything. You can't interact with any war channers. You can't interact with anything else that gives you buffs inside of a normal auric army. You get none of that. It's just these things on these pages, and there just is no synergy. That's what I think is the sad part about this. And I definitely think they should change that somehow, some way. I mean, this would just be a cool army to play. It wouldn't even take a whole bunch of models, right? It but just... that's the thing, right? That's the whole point of the armies of renown is that you go limited. Right. You can run all of this. You can run that exact same army, right? Maugrun to Gougers can become battle line. You right. can do right. all of these things. You know, okay, cool. You're losing out on the mount traits, but you're picking up mighty destroyers, which means that you can charge potentially three times a turn in the right circumstances with these guys but you know the tusk boss you can potentially charge three times a turn that's pretty mm-hmm. good yeah you know that's basically a guarantee that you're going to be at momentum six you lose out on smashing and bashing right you know so that's going to be your sequencing fights yeah you know boy you know what armies love fighting in sequence are armies that get better the more that they have the opportunity to charge sure you get that and you get the iron jaws wall which is plus one to charge an additional point of ren which when you think about these profiles right the tusk boss on Magranta goes up to Oh, sure. When you look at the Rens, they're all two and three. Rens four. That's wild. That's so good. You know, the thing that you lose in doing so is the Tusk Boss doesn't have the Mega Boss keyword, so he wouldn't have access to, you know, the command traits and artifacts in Iron Jaws. But do you really need Battleline Grunta Gougers right now? 
probably not. You know, my hope is that Games Workshop gets smart and either gives this guy the Mega Boss keyword or, you know, adds or Tusk Boss, you know, in the errata mm-hmm. for the Iron Jaws book. And you go from there. So there are uh, still some synergies. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Tons. Yeah. If okay. you play them in Iron Jaws. This is the point, though, that I was making is that, you know, when you look at the other three armies of renown in here, there is a lot of stuff just in the base rules that make them so powerful or so interesting or so good. You don't have that here. No. If you want to play a Grunt of Stampede, you are so limited to what you can do. You don't have those synergies that you just talked about if you're playing in a regular Orc War Clan army. It's just these models, these three units, right? You get a few things, but overall it's not nearly as interesting or competitive, you know, as something else. It's just very thematic, which is cool if you want to do that, but which is disappointing to me. You know, when I read this, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. Nope. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so it's not funny. It's frustrating. Yes, that's the great word. They nailed two of these, just knocked them out of the park. Mm -hmm. Wow, you know, these are really niche. These are really interesting. It gives you an incentive to play the army in a different way. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. They missed one on Expeditionary Force where you go, clearly you weren't thinking about this very hard. Right. And they missed one in the other direction where, where you went, you guys thought about this too hard and tried to get too cute with your decisions. Mm-hmm. And no one competitively is going to play this. You will have people who run it because, like, they love pigs, right? You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's cool. Yeah, but... absolutely. This would be a great Path to Glory army. This would be really fun. You know, because you could name these pigs, you could name the guys on the pigs, and you could just do some really amazing stuff with this, with a thousand points, and it would just be fun, right? And you can still do some stuff, you can still do some damage and stuff, but it would just, yeah, whole different situation when it's narrative. Let's move on to the other units that we have in here now. The Ragers, New Ard Boys, we have two new mm-hmm. character heroes. Which one of the heroes do you want to talk about, buddy? I'd love to talk about Zogrok. Okay, please. This is a new named character for Iron Jaws. Mm-hmm. Movement 7, 4-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 8. Keyword locked into Iron Sons, important note. He's got a pick between having the Ward Smashing Choppa and having the Grunta Tongs, but he has base, the Skull Crushing Basha, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, run one damage two. His companion has the Ramming Head, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, no run damage one. You have to pick between the Ward Smashing Choppa, two inch range, two attacks, threes by twos, run two damage three, and the Grunta Tongs, one inch range, four attacks, threes by fours, no run damage one. And if you saw that in a vacuum, you'd go, well, obviously you take the sword. Like, why would right, you be right. so stupid? No. <laughs> so Special rule time, yeah. <laughs> yep. So he's got his companion, Clonk. Clonk must remain within one inch of Zagrot at all mm-hmm. times. And he's just a little squig with a, a big flat anvil head. Yeah. But Zagrok has power of the great green god. In your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Iron Jaws unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Roll a dice. Add two to the roll if this unit's armed with the Gruntatongs. There you go. Okay. On a four-up or a two-up if you have Gruntatongs, that unit's weapons are green hot until the start of your next hero phase. While a unit's weapons are green hot, unmodified hit rolls of six for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit cause one mortal wound in addition (sighs) to any damage they inflict. (laughs) Oh, and yeah, wouldn't it be nice... Is if part of this, there was a unit that had a whole boatload of dice they could roll? That would be very cool. 
Yeah. So <laughs> then if you take the sword, you're thinking, why would I take the sword? That's so good. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the unit's ward smashing chop is a six and the target has any ward, that unit's wards are smashed. If a unit's wards are smashed for the rest of the battle, yeah. ward rolls cannot be made for that unit. That is... <laughs> you had a four-up ward? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Next game, you'll have it again. That's really nuts. It's pretty good. He's a really cool character. I really like that they created a character that is so unique. Yeah, and he's only 180 points, man. 160 points. That's really amazing for that price. That's a bargain. All right, then let's move on then to the Ardboy Big Boss. Uh, Four-inch move, six wounds, three up save, seven bravery. And he has a big Hacka and Choppa, two-inch range, five attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. He's the Iron-Fisted Commander. This unit can issue the Rally Command up to two times in the same phase. Ooh, nice. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly Ardboy's unit. No command points are spent the second time. In addition, when a friendly Ardboy's unit receives the Rally Command from this unit, it can return one Slave Model on a 5-up instead of a 6. Ooh, yeah. not bad. And then, the other special rule is get Bashing. Add one to Shield Bash rolls, which we will talk about which are really good. Well, they're kind of good. Made, they're okay. Made for friendly art boys units while they are wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. Yeah. Okay. He's cool. For the rally ability, that could be meaningful if you're taking big handfuls of art boys. They're kind of cool. He's 100 points. It's pretty good. I'd say let's jump right over to art boys yeah. you know, now while let's this guy's it. fresh in our mind. Yeah. So... Hard boys, if you just look at the point increase, you go, oh my god, what happened? They're 220 for 10. Yeah. They're two wounds, four inch move, three up save, bravery five. You got to pick between the choppas and the stickas. Mm -hmm. uh, the choppas are one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage one. And the stickas are two inch range, two attacks, fours by threes, ren one, damage one. Champion mm -hmm. gets plus one to the attacks characteristic. Fine. One tenor standard bearer, and you get plus one to your bravery characteristic. No drummers anymore. Nope. And so you get, here we go, add one of the attacks characteristics of this unit's Ardboy's Choppas if it made a charge move in the same turn. They're one inch range, right? So you're probably not taking that on units that are bigger than 10 because you're going to have so many that just aren't in combat or you're going to offer a frontage that is just sure. so wide. Yes. The other one is the stickers. Improve the Ren characters of this unit's Ardboy stickers by one if the target made a charge move in the same turn. So if you get charged, you go up to Ren 2. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. And then you have Shield Bash. Each time this unit fights, after all of its attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy within one inch of this unit and roll a dice for each model in this unit within one inch of that unit. These dice are referred to Shield Bash rolls. For each Shield Bash roll of a 6-up, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. I'm just going to pick models from the front of my unit. Nope, that's Doesn't not work. how that works. So this was clarified specifically with the Seraphon errata with how the Saurus Warriors work. Mm -hmm. So they finish attacking, and before so this is a before casualties are removed. Okay, got um, it. Okay, sequence because yes. it doesn't say so that the, here because normally it would. Yes, okay. And it doesn't say that in the Seraphon, but if anyone wants to go back, this is clarified directly in the Seraphon errata because Saurus Warriors have exactly the same rule, but it's called a bite roll instead of a oh, shield uh, bash. Right, roll. okay. Put on my Warhammer lawyer hat. No, it's perfect because <laughs> people need to know that so that they're not thinking they can do that and then, ah, I'm, I'm gone. No, you're not. Okay. So Got you it. saw Brute Ragers and Weird Brute Wreckas, Dan. Ooh. And these are right. units that are good in Big Wah, but... 
Isaiah busted out a little-known subfaction in Iron Jaws, the Chapas, mm-hmm. which means that war chanters can give out their buffs to three units yes. instead of one, as long as they met the appropriate keyword characteristic, which the weird brute wreckers and the brute ragers absolutely do. So he was running spam hard boys, ragers, and wreckers with a bunch of like three or four war chanters. Yeah. Yeah, and he had like six units, I think at least six units of these guys with three models. They just came on. I mean, you see in this huge green tide come forward. It wasn't bad until they hit, and then you're just going, holy mutt, why didn't I shoot them first? Like the Iron Boys are nothing compared to them almost. So the Ragers are three for 100, (laughs) and the Wreckers are three for 125. Yeah, and you're talking Uh, about nine wounds for unit of three. The Ragers are uh, four-inch move, seven bravery, five-up save. They have uh, three choices for weapons, right? Yep. And the first one... you can arm every model in the unit differently if you wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't love that, but, you know, whatever. So the Chain Smash, all these are two-inch range. The Chain Smash has six attacks, four by fours, minus one, two damage. The Gore Hacka is three attacks, three by threes, minus two, two. The Brute Crusher is three attacks, four by fours, minus one, D3. The unit can issue its own commands. This unit can run and still charge, which is so good. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a Brute Crusher is six... That unit causes three mortals to the target and the attack sequence. And so you're like, why would you take that? Well, that's why. These, I think you're taking the mighty gore hack. I think three that's attacks the way to go. And two. Yeah. Yeah. Damage. I think that's the best one. Yeah, it looks like it. And you're hitting on threes, wounding on threes. That seems to be the choice. And in Big Wah, I think the Chain Smasher gets interesting because it's six attacks. Mm-hmm. And when you've got your energy up, it's plus one to hit, plus one to wound. And that's pretty good. But if that's the case, you might as well take the Weird Brute Rekkas, who have the same <laughs> circle profile. They all have the Chain Smasher, which is the same as the Chain Smasher that we just talked about. Right. Except they have Green Rage. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit is a 6 and the target has 10 or more models, it scores 2 hits, right? So 6s explode on the right kind of target. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about 18 attacks, you feel pretty good about that result. They can also run in charge, and they also have a ward of a 5-up while they're within 3 inches of any enemy units. 5-up, <laughs> 5-up. There you go. Pretty good. Isaiah was obviously using the... MSU version of this where you're sending waves and waves and waves of kind of quality garbage units at your line, drowning you in bodies and forcing you to split attacks and, you know, hopefully making you go, I didn't put enough wounds into that. I didn't kill enough models there. Or even if the first turn, you know, that you take out two units of ragers, you're like, oh, good for me. And then all of a sudden he hits you with a unit of Ard Boys or two more units of Ragers or whatever it is, it's all over, man. It's just so crushing. With all of these new units, these are really cool expansions for Iron Jaws as a whole. Mawgrunts are pretty good in the context of Iron Jaws. I think they're pretty good. I think they're interesting. These other units that they added are quite good, especially if you're considering Dechapas, right? A sub-faction that basically was never used. Mm-hmm. You had people who ran Iron Sons, and you had people who ran Pig sub-faction, which was the you know the charge after combat or pile in after combat, keep you tied up. You just never saw people run into Chapas very often or at all, and this is a great opportunity to do so. Ardboy's going up to as many points as they have 
really changes some people's approach to how Iron Jaws lists are built because they went from units of five that cost like 90 points mm-hmm. to, you know, units that take up a huge chunk of your army now. So Iron Jaws lists are going to change just because of that. So what the Chapas does, Dan, is when you use the Violent Fury on War Chancer, you can pick up to three friendly Brutes or Ardboys instead of one unit. So that doesn't really help you too much overall with your with your delivery system, right? Okay. Because the Violent Fury is the plus one damage ability. What you're doing to get them across the board is taking a Mega Boss on foot, issuing Mighty Destroyers, giving mm. two units a free move, moving them again, right? So that their movement, you know, what, eight at that point? Right. Which isn't great, but it's not terrible. If you're taking a Shaman, right, you can try and teleport a unit. If you have a bunch of War Chanters, though, you have the opportunity to give one of the War Chanters the get em beats, right, which is a 3d6 charge instead of just a 2d6, okay. and that triggers on a 3-up. There's a way to do all of it, right? You know, you wait till you get to the point where you have a bunch of units in range, and then you're going to pop off your Iron Jaws Wa, mm-hmm. right, for the plus one to charge. Well, only one unit's going to have, ideally, 3d6. You know, it helps if you can get just as many of them going as possible, and he might have paired that with the Mighty Wall Leader trait. So when you call the Wall, you can reroll charges for friendly Iron Jaws units okay. wholly within 12 inches. So you're maximizing you know, that ability. Okay, thank you for clarifying all that. Excellent. So Brandon, what do you think about this book? I think they nailed it with two armies of renown. I think they missed with two, one in each direction, so a a nice average. If they spend the time to make Armies of Renown more like Broad Stomp and Trug's Trogherd, Mm -hmm. I think Armies of Renown are going to be a great thing. If they make things like the Maugrunta Stampede, people will take them, but that's because they like the units and they think that it's interesting. And those are people that were just going to play those units probably anyways, but they wanted to play them within the themed context. Sure. If they continue to make armies of renown, like the Grunstock Expeditionary Force, they are going to create a 40k-like problem. Yes. Where the next book that comes out, oh, cool, problem army, they're going to win tournaments for a month. Games Workshop is going to go, whoa, sorry, we didn't know that it was going to be this bad. You know, here are three sentences that make the army useless. Also, here's a new Dawnbringer book. Oh, my God. You know, there's a crazy new army that is going to win for a month. Games Workshop goes, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Here are three sentences that make that army useless. Oh, here's a new Dawnbringer's book. We have seen some of that with 40K armies pretty consistently in some way, shape, or form since you know, 40K has existed, right? You know, the Matt Ward was infamous for, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. writing the next most broken book. It feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. We saw some of this with the lead-ups to previous edition changes in 40K, where there was mm-hmm. just some wild codex creep. I like Armies of Renown. They should keep Armies of Renown. That should be a thing that they keep doing. But someone on that team needs to play that army one time and go, oh, <laughs> Okay. (laughs) And I don't know what their external playtesting team looks like at this point anymore, but it's really frustrating for a book to come out and for, I won't even say the competitive community, I would say anybody who can read, to open that up, understand the implications and go, hold on, this says what exactly? And then someone who does play competitively goes, oh yeah, it does that. And they go, what? You go, oh yeah, it's really dumb. 
So, you know, kind of on the fence about that. Love that they use this as an opportunity to expand the Iron Jaws range. Those Art Boy models are so cool. The Maugretta models are so cool. You know, having the slightly unarmored, you know, Iron Jaws, Ragers, and Rekkas, really cool aesthetic. Big fan of them expanding a range that for a really long time we've said needs three or four more kits and it'll feel Mm -hmm. like a more complete model range. And we got exactly that. And when you look at all of the Iron Jaws range together, you go, that looks like a more cohesive and thought out model launch than it did Mm -hmm. two months ago. Sure. For me, right, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but overall more positive than negative for what this means for players of all kinds. I think the one thing that stands out for me is the win with the Trugs Trog Herd. The reason I say that is I think there are a lot of people who have played Trog Armies or tried to play Trog Armies, right? And they really wanted to do it and they had the models and they played them a little bit and then they were like, okay. And then they moved on to something else, right? I think this will get those people who have the models or who want to play a trog list and give them something really meaningful to work with and something they might stick with for a while. So again, a lot of people have the models, but they just didn't have that one or two extra things they needed to keep coming back to it, right? That's what I think is so cool about that particular army of renown in this book. Good stuff, man, overall. (laughs) With a giant asterisk as big as the letters. Yeah, that. Um, otherwise, yeah, that's good. We are done with Dawnbringers 2. Looking forward to the next Dawnbringers, whenever that comes out. Probably in the next couple months. I would think around Christmas time, probably. On the roadmap, they said that there is going to be one more fall one. That would have to be before December 21st, if they're doing astronomical stuff. If they are doing it that way, yes. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I famously remember an Orc Codex that was supposed to come out during October and came out in November. Oh, so. right. yeah, we talked about that many times. Yes, we did. Yeah, October 46th, I believe, <laughs> that book came out. That is it for Emperor Lies, and we're going to move right on to Scriptorium. Etc., etc., etc. So, Brendan, it is Scriptorium time. We have a few new releases. We have a book called Once a Killer. It is a Warhammer crime anthology, so... If you're into such things, I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Gene Father is coming out. Now, that one, by the way, is going on pre-order the 21st, I believe. Gene Father is going on pre-order this Friday, which is cool. And then we have a Mortal Realms short story week. So if you want some Mortal Realms stuff and you just want to pop a quick read that you got five of those to go. And that's it. Your stuff, man. Oh, easy. That was way too short. (laughs) Yeah, so for me, I'm continuing to listen to that biography of Ulysses S. Grant. As far as watches, I watched the David Beckham documentary series (laughs) on Netflix. Okay. And it was really interesting because for me personally, you know, David Beckham was the superstar of me growing up. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't follow international soccer, but we were watching so many things and we're watching things and like, I just knew what happened. I remembered you know, some of these things that like just kind of ancillarily happen, you know, he gets, you know, he gets sent to Real Madrid. I'm like, nope, this is really bad. Like, you know, uh, they do some winning, but you know, and it was edited really strangely in some parts where you could tell that like, it wasn't a person talking continuously. It was a lot of cuts to get to the conversation that they wanted. And for most of it, it was done really well, but there are some parts where it was so jarring. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
And I don't think I've ever really watched something where I was like, did his arms just jump around? Like, what is that? (laughs) They did it in such a manner where David Beckham is portrayed as very human. They do a very good job of humanizing him. Victoria Beckham does not look like a very good person Uh in this documentary. She does not come off, at least from my perspective, as very relatable or Mm. normal. Well, she was a Spice Girl, you know. (laughs) She was. But, like, what's really interesting to me is, like, these documentaries that cover really famous people, those famous people typically have, like, some say in what the final cut looks like. Yeah. And if that's the case, I'm really surprised that they approved it the way that they did. Okay. You know, specifically for how... Victoria is portrayed because, wow. yeah, David comes across as a really relatable person despite being a megastar and owns a soccer franchise and, you know, has played in multiple World Cups and captain Team England and, you know, has played for and won all but the absolute biggest and grandest trophy in international football. It was interesting, but there were some really unusual decisions that I I feel like were made. And if they didn't have any say in it, that would make a lot more sense. But I would be very surprised because that is just not how those kinds of documentaries are done, at least nowadays, which is sad, but it's the world you live in. So you got to cards you got what about you dan well you up to you remember last time i mentioned that i'm halting or putting on standby my macarthur book for a while yeah one of the furious <laughs> at a book yeah and i had mentioned about him manipulating the press in world war ii and so i started reading a book called the war of words by molly manning and it's essentially about the propaganda wars in World War II, but it starts by stressing how powerful the Nazi propaganda machine was, not only in Germany, but in other parts of the world. It was incredibly powerful in England. In the United States, it was incredibly powerful. And so Roosevelt and his, you know, group of people, his advisors, understood that we needed to do something because the Nazis were actually affecting the morale of American troops all over the place. What they did was, at the recommendation of Marshall, who was his army chief of staff, he started a troop newspaper program. And by the end of the war, there were over 4,600 individual publications that were made down to the squad level among U.S. forces. And to counteract this, and they said it was incredibly effective because it was the troops who were putting this out. So it wasn't getting filtered or they didn't have to, you know, kind of check and see if it was really going on or something that had credibility because they were the ones writing this stuff. And so it's about that, the book overall. But the preface has been really, really interesting and I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. It's very, very cool. So the next thing that I started listening to, I wasn't sure about. I was going to listen to a book called The Rose in Darkness, uh, I think I mentioned, which was the uh, Sisters of the Bloody Rose, the Sisters of Battle, fighting some gene stealers. But I didn't really know enough about that particular order. So I looked it up and there was actually an anthology called The Rose at War, which was all short stories about this one squad and this one sister superior of Sisters of Battle. And... It's so cool because they're fighting orcs, chaos demons, heretics, rogue psychers. I mean, they're just going through all this stuff. And what makes it even more enjoyable is the reader is Emma Gregory. 
When I saw the name, it's like, I thought I recognized that. I recognize her from the Kane books because she voices a general uh, in that particular series. And I can't tell you the last time I enjoyed a reader this much. She's really gives a lot of you know emotion to the characters and the different voices that she can make as she's reading the story you know it's that character like it's so unique to each person because sometimes you get a reader and they all sound the same you know after a while she has really become one of my favorite readers here just listening to this thing and it's really good I'm about halfway through it really really cool it's called the rose at war so if you're halfway interested in Sisters, I would start with this, actually. Then, Expanse, Expanse, Expanse. <laughs> I'm about two-thirds of the way through the second season, and there are just some memorable scenes that I had totally forgotten about. There's this one guy who, he's trying to recruit people for this kind of halfway suicide mission. It doesn't turn out to be one, but... And this one guy comes up, and he's like a rabble-rouser, and he's trying to convince these people that this guy isn't a legitimate leader and stuff. So the guy basically just punches the guy, throws him into the airlock, and spaces him. And it was just like, wow, very cool. <laughs> it's just no nonsense, man. It was so funny in its own way. But just, oh, this show, every episode you watch, you just enjoy the series more and more and you love some characters you hate some others and you just keep hating them because the acting is so good and the writing's so good then my friend and i did go see the creator and we really enjoyed it was not so much you know i mentioned that it felt like it had kind of a blade runner vibe where it was going to it was more of a ghost in the shell vibe in terms of what what the ai was you know so blade runners were actually you know the replicants were humanoid and they were whole and intact. And in Ghost in the Shell, basically what happened is they would take a human mind and they would implant it inside a mechanical body, a cyber body. So you still had your soul, you still had you, but it was in this enhanced container, kind of. And so that's kind of what it was, but it was just very well done. So that's it, it for me, buddy. So, oh. yeah, so a question about the movie. How did it approach the ethical question of artificial intelligence? Was that really broached at all, or, or was that really the underlying theme? Or It was in the sense that there was this conflict between people who felt that AI was a threat. Humans, only humans felt like it. You know, people who were just, just people as opposed right. to the AI. And the AI ended up being, in some cases, an actual human being who had said, I want to be put into that Android body, you know, that AI. Mm -hmm. So you still had a person there. You knew that person and you would hear their voice and you would see their face. And it was that person, but it just was in a different vessel. The conflict between the two was what kind of the movie was about. But as it was going on, it did ask that question. Are these things human? Watching the movie and you see the interaction between like the AI and humans. Like this one, they were running from something. And this one robot was actually carrying a human baby. Like trying to save it from the attacks that were going on. And you're going, whoa, that thing doesn't hate people. No, it just wants to live. It just wants to be there and live its life. So I would certainly recommend it to you. It was very good. Cool. All right, moving on. Five questions, buddy. Mm -hmm. So, out the gate. I will have you start, Dan. Okay. A couple of Sigmar things here. If you had to take an army to an event, 
would you take a trug or a giant army of renown? <laughs> I have basically the same question for you. Well, that's good. I would, that's fine. I would take a trug army. I think the broadlist is very good. I think it's very competitive. I feel like I need more units on the field. I do really well with singular centerpiece models. Mm. I don't know that I would do very well with my army concentrated into basically four specific places. Okay. Then the next question is, if you knew you were facing a techless list, which I did okay. in my first game at Dragonfall, and it was not pretty, would you take a Trug or a Giant list if you had a choice between those two and you knew you were playing techless? Trug. Okay. Yep. The ability to do as much healing as possible effectively negates the damage dealing that techless can do, which is obviously quite good. And then you can try and roll for on the table the thing that most negatively impacts the rest of the way your opponent's army is built. Alrighty. Next question is a history question. Okay. For if you were going to go after a Japanese aircraft carrier. Okay. You are now the commander of the USS Enterprise or Yorktown or Hornet, whatever it is. Are you going to order units of dive bombers or units of torpedo bombers? What do you think would be more effective at destroying those targets? I'm not remotely equipped to answer this question well. Well, this is I, like me and the sports questions you asked when I have no idea, so it's okay. Yeah, I would go with dive bombers for the reason the American torpedoes at the time were deeply unreliable. And let's pretend you had a more average reliability rate. The torpedoes are really only good for hoping that you land a kill shot, right? Because mm -hmm. like, if, if you get it stuck in a place, that doesn't really help you a ton except for knowing where it is. Mm -hmm. But that also helps your opponents in you know getting to where it is to, to defend it and then you know do whatever they take to either repair it or get it back to its nearest port. With the dive bombers, you have the opportunity for both the kill shot and mm -hmm. effective disabling shots because the construction of the Japanese flight decks at the time where if you put holes in them, mm. they were very useless. The Americans were well known for being able to rebuild their flight decks on the fly. The Japanese mm -hmm. flight decks at the time were a lot more difficult to repair. Okay. I have a food and then a sports question. Um, okay. Sometimes when you go to a restaurant, they make the best baked beans in the world. Like they have bacon in them and chopped up tomatoes, and they just really gin them up. You know, so they're really good standalone things that you would have. So if you're going to order a really beastie burger, right? Okay. Would you rather have like steak cut fries or a side of a small bowl of those ginned up baked beans? Steak fries, I don't like beans really of any variety. Oh, it's okay. mostly a texture thing for me. So okay. this one's a piece easy. of cake. That's easy. Okay. Yeah. So now we have two players on the Bucks. We have Damien and Giannis, yes? Mm -hmm. No? Okay. Yep. By the end of the year, who do you think will be the MVP of the Bucks? Wow. Oh, good. I, I asked the good sports questions. <laughs> okay. I don't know that you can really pick against Giannis, but. Dame has been known to put up 50-point games with scary reliability. Okay. He is a scoring nightmare, but is a liability on defense I don't think is fair. But Giannis is an all-world player on both sides of the ball okay. and right. meaningfully impacts the outcome both directions. Okay. That's it, then. Okay. 
I have five questions. I'm going to not ask you the Trug or Broad question because... You know that I'm going to answer Trugs, of course. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, I'll change that one. So we'll start with following your time at Dragonfall. You've now played bow hunters and Gossamans mm-hmm. in tournament settings. Which of those two did you like better? I understand that they serve different roles. But... Yes, Gossamans. Gossamans okay. did some unbelievable work. I had actually talked to a couple people about maybe pulling three of my hunters and replacing them with five Gossamans for about the same cost. And even though they were more fragile, and everybody would assume that was true, the work they did was really scary because I came up against several armies that had very good armor saves. You know, three up or better, you know, after they modified. And so those Kurnos were just like bouncing off, even though I had a lot of... You know, you rend one and somebody's got, you know, plus one to save and plus one to save and they're ignoring one rend. You're going, oh man, they took out some annihilators. Like five Gossamans took out a unit of annihilators. I'm like, holy crap, man. That's pretty efficient, right? That is pretty good. Yeah, definitely Gossamans. Instead of asking, would you run Trugger Broad, I'll ask you, would you run Grunta Stampede, knowing full well that, you know, Grunta Stampede is kind of what it is, or would you run the Grunstock Expeditionary Force, knowing that you are going to ruin at least five players' play experiences in a tournament? I would not want to run that gunline thing. Even okay. me, who would miss rules or not do something or whatever. I would feel like, and you know how I feel about people who say, I'm sorry about this, because it's in your book. It's okay. You don't need to be sorry. I would feel compelled to say that. Like before the game, I am sorry that these are the rules. You know, (laughs) I really would. I would rather play, even if I knew it wasn't going to be very successful in a tournament, I would love to play some of those giant pigs. That would just be so much fun. Even though you might not do that well, I think it would be just so cool. And hey, you know what? I go two and two and one or two and three all the time. So what if I go one and four? What the hell? If I had a good time all weekend? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <Fair> enough. <laughs> what is a non-Sylvaneth, non-corn army of renown you'd like to see? Uh, so what would you like to focus around? Oh, and... man. You... Oh, that's cheating. That's not good. Because uh, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> whenever I ask these questions, I've come to learn you go, uh, I'd love a Sylvaneth one. I'd love one that gives my army a five-up ward. Yeah, of course. Um, I'd like the special units to be presently the units that I'm playing. So Nurgle already has a regiment of renown. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see an army of renown. Because I really think I'm going to seriously consider taking that regiment of renown in my corn army. Okay. I really do. Of course, I have the models, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that would be really cool. Something a little different for Nurgle, because they're already pretty cool. But Okay, so what would that Army of Renown focus on unit-wise? And you don't have to write all the rules for me, but you know, like what would be the emphasis? It would be okay. something that would stress wings, because everybody's like, oh, you know, Nurgle's a slow arm. And I think the other thing I would like to see integrated was my game five. This guy had the coolest beast models and they were really good brendan like they can run in charge you know yeah (laughs) they were effective at doing what they needed to do so maybe somehow integrating beasts into a flying army would be really cool that'd be a neat combination for me okay yeah this weekend 
our friend Christian Ware and I went to the Ohio State versus Maryland game. Okay. The Horseshoe is one of those places I feel like you have to go see a game if you're a college football fan who likes that kind of stuff. You, Dan, had the luxury of, you might not have felt it was a luxury at the time, of playing in, you know, Ann Arbor, which is certainly one of those stadiums that is on the map of place where you have to go see a game. Right. You saw it up close and personal. Oh, yeah. Yes. What is a sporting stadium that you've never been to that you would like to go see? When I was growing up, the Coliseum in L.A. was always a really, really cool place because at the time I was an Oakland Raiders fan, you know, and they ended up moving there for a a short period of time. And I always wished that I had been able to see like a Raiders game in the Coliseum. I never got to see a college football game in the Coliseum. And I always wished just because it was so unique and growing up so close to it, I was always disappointed that I can't tell you how many Dodgers games I went to. In high school, my friends and I, like five or six, it was just like, we'd make calls to our parents and like, boom, we were gone after school. We'd drive down to a Dodgers <laughs> game, right? And that was always really fun. So that would be it, the LA okay. Coliseum. My last question, one that you're not prepared for. <laughs> the NBA preseason has started, and by the time this show airs, the NBA regular season will have started. Yes. So Dan, what is your preseason prediction on who is in the finals and who wins it all? The Bucks. And let's see again, and you know, and listeners, I don't know who's in which freaking, I don't know who's east and west. So I know the Bucks are east. I would pick, I don't know, the Nuggets maybe? Okay. Yeah. The yeah, winners I think, of last year. I sure. think the Denver Nuggets might be a good pick. Yeah. So just Sorry. because I would like to see the Bucks, even though no fall of, you know, obviously they're a local team. So I would like to see them be successful always. The Bucks and the Nuggets. That's the short answer. Okay. Those are my five. All right, moving on, bud. Let's go to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Sunday announcements. You got anything? Yeah, so what we got coming out next week is for Horse Heresy, you've got basically a supplemental release to the Age of Darkness that came out. Mm. So you've got a bunch of guys in Mark Three. You've got the plastic Land Raider Proteus. And you've got a oh, plastic yeah. uh, Land Raider Dorado. Derrido. Yeah, really cool. A very yeah, the, multi-purpose. Yeah, the shooty one. So you can order all of those things individually. Also, the Age of Darkness Volume 1 Exemplary Battles mm. book. It's like a narrative tome of some variety. Okay, cool. You have upgrade kits for the Sons of Horus that are available. And the Warhammer Commemorative Series Leagues of Votan, the Ancestor's Wrath model. All right. As well as the new Stormvault skirmish case, which looks terrible and useless. All right. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> like they need to just admit that magnets exist. Yeah. And sure. do that. I don't know. There's no way that this is like it seems ridiculous. Brendan. Warhammer Day is on the fourteenth. There'll be previews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the show will come out after that, so you know, listen for our reactions next time. Yeah, for sure. So any Q&A for you? Yeah, I had one. It was asked in one of my group chats, but not specifically as a Q&A question. Okay. But it felt appropriate. So a question from our friend Pete in Indianapolis. Okay. When will Dan have his corn ready? Late winter, early spring. And that will... Okay, good, because I told him 2024 at the earliest. Okay, yes, that that is a great answer. Yep, that's including my Nurgle Regiment of Renown. All right, I have nothing. Episode 132 is going to be our recaps of Dragonfall and Vault Wars. Yep. 
All right. You finished up Dragonfall. I'm headed to Vault Wars, the rare double events where neither of us attended both of them. Well, it was interesting how many people came up to me and they go, do you feel kind of weird without Brendan here? Like, do you feel weird like we do? Like, <laughs> we're just kind of looking for him, right? <laughs> there was this yeah. one guy that came in the room with a tank top on and a couple of people were like, Brendan? Like, you could just see they were thinking of that. I'm like, nope, that's not him. That's the other guy. <laughs> Yeah. So you were missed for sure by your friends. I could really, with all the travel I'm doing here in October, I could really only swing one. Oh, yeah. We'll call it long distance tournaments. It's a bummer. I picked Vault Wars, you know, because Tyler's my friend. You know, Mark oh, yeah. is my friend, Absolutely. too. Prior to this, every single Dragonfall, you know, even at the other two previous stops that they've had for a venue. So it was definitely some FOMO as I was watching, you know, through Twitter and people sending me updates sure. and things like that. So... I'm a little glad I missed, you know, for the sake of my ego, but like also right. I really wish I could have been there. Eight hours is tough to swing only to come home, you know, travel that next weekend, oh, yeah. and then travel 10 hours to oh, another yeah. tournament that following weekend, and then travel again the weekend after that. Like, yeah, I felt the same way. And you know, I just, and we're not getting back to our, from our next trip until like the Friday before Vault Wars. So even if it was closer. <laughs> It's just, it's such a long investment. And it, it's the time of year when everything is going on. You know, now that we have the yeah. RV, like, it's the perfect time for traveling. There's all these other tournaments and events. And when Tyler announced the date, I was just like, oh, no, that, I know that's not going to work. Oh, right. come on. Yeah. It's like, please, I want to go to your event, man. I want to support my friend. But anyway, cool. All right, that's it then, man. We're good for another episode. And thank you for being here today. As always, it's great to see you and great to catch up, even though it's only been a week this time instead of like months. <laughs> yeah. Right? Other than that, listeners, thank you for coming along for the ride and listening to us and all our foolishness. We appreciate you every time that you uh, tune in and download. With that, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. Bye. This is the end.